Welcome to the Hunter's Hub. Uh, this is your host, Fortwan, joined by co-host Morg Daddy. How you doing? I am so exhausted. I actually passed out twice today, and now I'm, I'm sort of almost fully awake, but... Ooh. I'm, re- I'm ready to talk D&D oh. with you guys. This is going to be a really fun episode. I hope so. Um, we don't have a lot of focus on this one, because I was an idiot and forgot to ask people on Twitter for some questions if they wanted to know the answers, but hey, we'll get through it. <laughs> Why don't Speaking you guys which, add the general channel real quick and see what they ask us while we're recording? That I would will do. Definitely a good idea. Yeah, Morg, you do that. That's mm-hmm. good. That's good. Uh, Pan, welcome. Hi. So yeah, I'm doing tonight, pretty good. Good. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> I jumped right in there. Um, so tonight we're going to be talking D&D. Um, and D&D is in like... Uh, one thing I do want to touch on is like our, our individual histories with the, uh, the, the role-playing game and kind of what we, what we do with it a little bit now. Um, considering we're all three in a game together that, that I DM now as of this past week. Whee! Um, which I think... Went rather well for having seven players online. I I was I was mildly impressed with with how little crosstalk we had, which you know can be fun, but uh, it it helped keep the game moving at least. Honestly, I really miss the crosstalk of playing IRL. That's true. But we'll um, get into that when we start talking about about me and D and D and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah, so like, I want to get into that kind of stuff, maybe some just general, uh, we've, we've, we've asked super last minute on the sub, not the sub, (laughs) I'm so used to talking about Reddit sometimes, um, in the general chat for uh, our discord and yeah, so we'll, we're going to have ourselves a nice little, little dungeon delve into the worlds of dragons. If that... I don't know. That one felt weird. We're going to dungeon some dragons. That's what my group says. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dungeon some that's dragons. Because that, that's what Joe Cat says. Oh. Is Joe Cat the guy who does, like, terrible, uh, terrible reviews? He does like, crap guides. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Yep. Like, yeah, not the crap as guides. in quality. Yeah. Because he, he, he wears the, um, he wears the, the Wiggler, Wiggler hat. hat. Yeah. And he's yeah. a champion of the sword and shield. Yes, he's my kind of guy. One of one of the dozens of people that are champions of the. <laughs> There's dozens of us, I tell you. <laughs> Everyone is a champion at heart. Oh man. Um. So yeah. So Morg. Um. I suspect you're the least experienced in D and D, but let's uh, let's hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I started Surprise in fifth me. edition. So yeah, I don't I don't actually have the most experience out of anybody, but um, once I started oh, getting, oh that's not a hand true. We have some we have some great people in the Gullicking that started with fifth edition. Oh and really? I don't think that really. Yeah, this it's I don't think it's I don't think amount of years played because heck, I mean I've played a lot of years, but that doesn't mean I'm better than anyone else at the game. So go I right ahead. You to be. Anyways, <laughs> um. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, honestly, the first time that I got into this, I didn't really understand, um, too much about the mechanics of the game, other than the fact that there is, like, 
people who hit really hard, and then there are people who cast spells. And I was looking at this thinking, well, I would like to play something a little bit more unique than just the guy who just casts the spells like Fireball and just does like a massive amount of damage, and more so than just the, the big tank who just rages and then just goes and beats everything up while also soaking up all the hits. And um, mm -hmm. a friend of mine was um, suggesting, well, why don't you pick a bard? And so I was I was looking <laughs> at it and <laughs> I played Morg, it. Morg, you are you are an IRL bard. Oh, that I am, that I am. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I started gravitating more to like as I started playing this game more and more. I started gravitating more towards things like druid and warlock because. Um, the way that they cast spells and their their spell lists are just so incredibly unique, and yet um, they're they're different enough that they're not necessarily a wizard. I mean, a wizard would be a cool idea, but I don't really like the fact that they're not very tanky and they don't really get special features like the warlock evocations or like um, the druidic circles. Um. So, typically, mm -hmm. those ones I, I tend to like more. And besides that, I don't think that there's really much use for intelligence in a lot of um, in a lot of campaigns. Because, I mean, wisdom, it's really good to have perception. And I, I strongly disagree. Yeah, I'm with and you there. Anyone, anyone, listening to, anyone listening to uh, our games is in my camp here, Morg. Oh. My character's main stat is int. Mm-hmm. You, and you mean it shows. You don't mean wis or No, draw. I'm a rogue. Oh. oh. I'm a rogue. There's you know why I'm trained in literally everything except for uh nature, nature. and crafting. <laughs> nature and crafting are the two things I'm not trained in. Ah, well that would make sense because I mean you're a rogue, so w wait. Yeah. But also that comes from the intelligence bonus as well. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. So I got to get yeah. Uh, at character creation, I got to get training in one skill for every, like, point in my intelligence modifier. Oh my god, we never had that. So intelligence basically was pretty much useless for us in our campaigns. Because, yeah, it was either yeah. charisma or wisdom that ruled them all out. Because no. everybody wanted okay. persuasion or intimidation. Yeah. To to be fair, to be fair, you're talking about D&D &D 5e, and I'm talking about Pathfinder 2e. So there, there's yeah. a difference there. Yeah, yeah. Intelligence in Pathfinder yeah. is, like, it, it's way more potent. And it's actually incredibly useful because it allows you to get more proficiency. So... It's it's closer to what three third edition had, mm -hmm. um, which makes sense because Pathfinder one is pretty much a branch of third edition D and D. Um, yeah. Right, and 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 I'll get in. I'll get into that at some point tonight. Why I hate Pathfinder one but love Pathfinder two. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I'm actually starting to like Pathfinder two a little bit more than fifth edition, but. Uh, right I'm now, surprised. Uh, I'm running a homebrew um, barbarian class that I found online, and we're doing, um, uh, I think Is it's Baldur's Gate, edition? like Descent into Avernus, um, with one of the groups mm -hmm. that I'm in. Yep, that makes sense. That makes sense. And yeah. um, the, the homebrew barbarian... Um, uh, subcategory that I'm running is the Abomination Barbarian, where whenever he rages, <laughs> he turns into an aberration. And so, 
Uh, the idea is oh, that um, w- uh, you turn into like this sort of like weird eldritch beast, whatever. So you get the claws and teeth or whatever, and um, uh, they do uh, like your attacks do as much as a great sword. So you'll do two d six with your claw or bite attacks or whatever, and eventually they become magical. And um, I believe you get to pick like some sort of like subcategory for like what kind of um, beast you are. So you can be a subterranean one, you can be a marine based one, you can be one that is like specialized in forestry, whatever. So if you choose like um, the subterranean one, you get like tremor sense while you're in your beast form or whatever. Um, you um, also get like a default climbing speed, which matches your uh, walking speed. You can also uh, jump twice as far. Um, you, uh, if you choose the water one, I think you get, like, a really fast swimming speed, and I think you can breathe underwater. I can't remember. Actually, you know what? I'm gonna look up the PDF. Uh, yeah. So you get, like, a bunch of broken stuff. Okay. <laughs> well, the problem is, is that you're, you're dealing a lot of poison damage. Well, there's a chance of you dealing poison damage once you reach, I think, 10th level. Yeah, yeah, once you're 10th level, your claws and teeth, uh... In your monstrous form, do poison damage. Now, the funny thing about well, this is that the way that they made it so that it wasn't broken was uh, when your rage ends, you must succeed on a wisdom saving throw equal to a DC of 8 plus your proficiency bonus plus your strength modifier. So if your wisdom is crap, um, there's a likelihood that you're going to get like levels of insanity with it. And if we were running the, um, the Cthulian campaign that I was thinking of running... And somebody was deciding to run this, it would be an incredibly dangerous build for them to be playing with, because madness eventually can um, drain what I have figured out. Uh, well, what I've applied is it, it's kind of like an extra mechanic that I put into it called like a sanity pool, where you have like a certain amount, uh, like you have a certain amount of um, uh, mental fortitude that allows you to be able to handle dealing with all these crazy aliens and weird phenomena and like dimension distorting stuff or whatever and if if you eventually run to zero um you either get driven completely insane to the point where you can't even function as a human being or whatever or you could possibly just die of a stroke or something um so that that on top of like things like making sure that your your scores are good because um Oh, I'm deviating off into something else completely. But yeah, this Barbarian class, actually, um, it actually got cleared by my DM. He was looking at it, and he's like, this is actually not broken. And I'm like, yeah, I suppose, because, I mean, like, we're stuck at level 1 right now. So he doesn't actually get the transformation yeah. yet. He gets it at, like, level 3. Um, and you only get a resistance to psychic damage, as opposed to, like, Bear Totem. Like, Totem Barbarian, like, yeah, they like get resistance. resistance to everything except for psychic. So... It, it, there's like some how do I put it there are like some give and takes to using this one and it's a fun one it's not broken until I start um, investing points into in yeah points into monk and then I start using flurry of blows where they start you know dealing 2d6 damage for every hit uh, which so I'm, the w- I'm the not way telling I my take DM it more... <laughs> The the way the way I take it more is you're very much a uh, what what my brother and I call net deckers, which is a magic term. Oh yes, I know what you're talking about. I've also played Magic the Gathering, so, so yeah. <laughs> Pan, are are you familiar with the term? Oh yes, uh, my roommate uh, slash actually the guy I work for now, giant net decker, <laughs> the net decker to end all net deckers. I know. 
Yeah, so uh, Morg, Morg, you are the guy who looks up builds and then just builds them and see if you have fun with what other people did, and that's okay. That's a that's a that's a, a certainly a, a, a fun way for some people to play. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what are you? I mean, we know what you're playing. Yeah. on Tuesday, but like, uh, so for the audience, like, what are you what are you playing? Tuesday. Okay, so I'm playing as like um, a goblin that uh, is a sorcerer, well, a demonic blood sorcerer. So you got like this yeah. little gremlin looking thing. It's like <laughs> for for um, chub chub. Yeah, chub chub for character flavor. He's like he kind of if you if you guys have ever seen the movie Gremlins, just picture that except with like little steak knives coming out of his mouth. You know, a little crazy gremlin thing. You know, likes to bite things and. Uh, eat raw meat and body parts. He's just a goofball. You know, kind-hearted, he means well, but he's a little bit chaotic. Um, so far, he with hasn't done anything... Tacos. Yeah, so far he hasn't done anything super crazy with the, with, um, uh, with the crew that we have right now, but, um, yeah. Uh, but you guys are only level two right now. So. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I'm not gonna do anything super crazy because I don't want to ruin anybody's immersion. Um, otherwise, if it was, like, with people that I know, straight up, I would probably, like, just, you know, go overboard with it and just have fun with it. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, okay. the thing is, is that, yeah, yeah, you really have to know, like, um, the people that you're playing with before you start doing crazy stuff, or otherwise, um, you can really derail a game, and then it's not fun for anybody. So, yeah, you have to really be careful about that kind of stuff. Um... So yeah, with Chub Chub, I'm okay. playing him nice and easy, um, mostly for the fun of it, and I, I like the fact that he's got that um, that focus spell that makes it so that he gets like a demonic pair of jaws, not like he doesn't already have demonic jaws, he just goes and bites things and then gains health back from it, and since he's like a squishy yeah. spellcaster, it would make sense for him to have that, so yeah, I'm actually surprised at how well that really fits his character. Yeah. No, I, I, Chub Chub's fun. Um, yep, I love him. I like your voice you do for him. Oh, yeah. It's, it one really well. sounds like Toad! <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stop right there. That's that's as, that's as much uh, Chub Chub as you guys are going to get on this podcast. Tune in to the actual show. <laughs> Teaser for Tuesday. Um, so, Pan, how did you get into D&D? And or other RPGs? Because not everyone okay. just plays straight up D&D. Yeah, um, so, uh, I was, like, pretty much always curious about it, because I don't, I don't really remember what my first exposure to it was. It could be that episode of Dexter's Lab that just Mm. looked like so much fun they were having. We all know the one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, anyways, I, I was always curious about it, but there was the stereotype about D&D, and I came from a very, no, I came from a very religious family. Oh, yeah, um, I actively fought that stereotype. So I was actually a board member of a church for a while um, in my early 20s. And um, I almost got you kicked out the of good the good fight. Uh, I almost got kicked out of the board for mentioning that um, I play D&D and then also suggesting having a D&D club at the church for the kids because yep. we could do like a wholesome one. That were, yeah. like taught them how to do some problem solving stuff, and it was inner city Dayton, um, so like there was a lot of like kids need shit to do. Oh so, yeah. Um, 
that was my suggestion, and I almost got ran out of that church for the for it, despite yep. them being entirely well-meaning people. Yep. So, um, I didn't actually get a chance to play D&D until I was in college, but fun fact, from, like, when I was, like, 16 until mm -hmm. later when I was, like, moved out and in college at, like, 20, I, uh, I had this, uh, this set of, uh, di polyhedral dice that I had bought because I was, I, like, had this plan to, like, sneak off to play D&D at Hobbytown, which is the, the name of the local game store. But then that oh, group yeah. fell apart before I had a chance to do it. So I just kept this bag of dice in my, like, deep, like, buried under my underwear. <laughs> uh, so my parents wouldn't find it. Interesting. I kept it for years. I kept it for years until, uh, until I actually got a chance to play in college. And oh, so, that's uh, funny. Yeah. So, yeah, my, my boyfriend at the time, I mean, my husband now. So I'll just call him my husband for mm -hmm. ease of reference. But he was my boyfriend at the time. He was like, yeah. hey, so some, some guys in my dorm are putting together a D&D group. Do you want to join? And I'm like, let's go. Let's do this. Let's fucking do this. I'm ready. Right. <laughs> I got <laughs> dice and everything. Um, and then it turned out it was actually not D&D. &D, it was Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, which is set in the war a fantasy version of the Warhammer universe. Oh. Which I don't, I don't yeah. know anything about Warhammer. Oh, it's I don't, brutal. But it, it's, it was. It was a brutal uh, system um, designed to kill your characters, but I, I had so much fun. <laughs> yeah, and not just there were, there were a them. lot of yeah there were a lot of weird uh, interpersonal politics with that group so that group didn't last very long or at least the version of the group that I was in didn't last long and uh, then basically throughout college every summer we would have a D and D group that would meet at my boy my husband's parents house where like you know people that my husband knew in, in high school like returned home from college or and yeah. for the summer. So we'd all like stay. We'd all play like these like six, seven, eight hour sessions, uh, once a week, in the summers because you know we were like twenty years old and didn't have to be anywhere the next day. Yeah, no, I'm, and, I'm very uh, familiar with that practice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, uh, and then you know, as as our college friends like sort of started moving off campus and into apartments, they stopped coming home for the summers, and the the yeah. tradition kind of died. So we didn't play 4E for a long time, and then uh, 5E came out. It was actually my husband and I were on our honeymoon to Gen Con uh, the year that 5E came out. Yeah. And he and I got super nostalgic for those, like, summers we spent playing D&D &D with, with the group. Hmm. So we, uh, we were like, you know what? We already spent, like, all... I spent a shitload of our fun money... On stuff already at Gen Con, but as soon as these books come out in a few weeks, because they were selling advanced copies of Gen Con, as soon as these books come out in a few weeks, I'll buy like the Player's Handbook and the Dungeons Master's Guide. Let's get some people together and like get this going. Except yeah. he didn't want to DM, so I had to DM, and I've literally oh. been DMing that same group ever since. <laughs> so we're going. You we're coming up on five years. <laughs> you got pulled into the Forever DM because yeah, that's how I, you got to play. I, yeah. Yes, that's true, but I, I really love it. I mean, uh, I I will admit I'm playing in your game out of desperation to be a player character for once, for fuck's sake. Well, but, not uh, that it's good or anything. <laughs> Jeez, Pam. Hey, I, I had I had a blast the other night. That's good. No, but, I know. Um, I'm just uh, poking fun. I know, I know. Uh, but yeah, I've I've literally been DMing that same group since like. September 2015, or whenever the 5e books came out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Holy cow. 
Yeah. Um, so uh, for for me, um, it all started uh, when when Fortorn was a little, wee little toddler. Um, and you were rolling my, dice before you could read, I'm sure. Um, possibly. So, um, <laughs> no, 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 no lie here. I am a big nerd. I've been playing computer games since I was two. Like, I like. Yes. <laughs> oh no. Um, large part because my parents are nerds. Um, or they were sort of like the outcasts or whatever. So my dad, um, and, and his brothers had ran a D and D campaign in their mother's basement, you know, in high school and that kind of stuff for years. Uh, and all of their friends were their D and D group people. Um, so like they would come over when I was a baby and I would like, they would play D and D when I was there and stuff. So like, this is like second edition, first edition D and D stuff. And I was like, so that's like, I have a, a, a good, uh, a good friend of the family. Uh, this guy's name's Rick. We called him uncle Rick and he was the DM most of the time. <laughs> so it was like, it was just like D and D was just like a part of my younger life, but you know, lives happen. People, you know, people, you know, can't play anymore and that kind of stuff. So that ended when, when I was pretty young, but I still loved the monster manual was set up on a fire mantle. And that monster manual, and it's a first edition one or an AD and D one, um, and it was—it's not only the inspiration for like me getting into D and D, but a lot of what I like in popular media and a lot of things, which is monsters. And it really started with that first edition AD and D, with like. Uh, if you guys have ever seen the cover of that thing, it's got like really janky like art on it with like a purple worm that looks like oh, this I looks know like a ten year old. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's like looks like a ten year old did it, a really well done ten year old. But like it was it was the jam for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I but I never so I always asked to look at it, but I never really got to play up until I was thirteen, um, and then I was uh, this is also tied into the fact i hate georgia uh i was on vacation in georgia for because my grandma lived there so we are one of the things to do because there was nothing to do it felt like was go to a flea market oh my goodness and flea markets what what is with southerners and flea markets let's not dive into this but like seriously though no i i get you my 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 both my parents are super into flea markets as well there's like a, a forever flea market like 20 miles down the road from us that i used to yep, go to a lot I, as a kid I know as them. well we have yeah. I, I have one here in nebraska but like christ's sake you can't drive more than like six miles on a highway in the south without running into one. Oh yeah i know uh clearwater tennessee is the one i remember the most world's biggest flea market there was like literally 70 buildings full of like the same stuff there was one guy who had pokemon cards that we went to go see every year when we traveled to and back but yeah see the thing we actually stopped at a flea market specifically on the way to georgia and back from georgia the same one and still went to flea markets in georgia this is how much i yep. <laughs> so uh anyways there was an old uh red box kit and if anyone's familiar the red box kit was like sort of like the starters pack of D back in the day and yeah, they still make them yeah. now i mean they showed it in uh stranger things 
in a in a yeah. I think the le- latest season of Stranger Things, it's like a thing they they linger on. Yes, and so I got uh, I had like ten dollars to spend, and it was like eight dollars, and I got it, and it had uh it had this dice that seemed to always roll twenties, and it was amazing, um, and it had an adventure book in it. Um, that taught me how to play D&D. So I went through my own adventure, like one-player adventure book in D&D, AD&D, that involved a rust monster that destroyed all my gear. But um, I loved it. Uh, and then uh, we made characters. We photocopied paper. And then I made a bunch of characters from myself, my brother, and our... Um, they wanted us to call... Everyone wanted us to call them cousins. Sorry, this is a bit of a family thing. It was my grandmother's boyfriend's grandkids which i absolutely hated like i could you can go just on put some days. air quotes about the word cousin it's fine <laughs> yeah air quote cousins uh which were terrible at the game because they're not the brightest people i knew anyways um <laughs> i'm a four-tones cousin <laughs> you're, still, yeah. you're still salty about this 20 years later man i know dude they made my life miserable <laughs> oh, i hated it but um <laughs> Whole whole of Georgia made my life miserable in the summer. Anyways, uh, it's okay, man. I have I have some Georgian air quotes cousins that I'm still angry at twenty years later. <laughs> uh, so I, I I got into it, and when I got home, I had a, like a sit down serious talk with my parents because I was like, "Mom, Dad, I need to play this game, and it requires <laughs> other people," and like. That is so amazing. my dad organized the campaign and the four, like us as a family played for a little while. And then when dad didn't have enough time anymore, he allowed us to have our friends over. And from that time on, either Friday or Saturday night, because it moved off of Friday night when I got into marching band. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I was allowed to have people over to play D&D. And so that continued until I was 21 every Friday night. Um, every Friday night we had D and D and it was like, or Saturday night, because again, I talked about, I was in the marching band and like, I had to, I had to be at the football games. Uh, but sometimes we did it that night anyways. So like I, I got in so much trouble because I prioritized D and D over everything else. It was insane. And we started in like a mixed match of what my parents had, which was first and second. And then third edition came out and we just bought all the books. Like one of these days I might take a picture. I have like a shit ton of third edition and 3.5 edition books. Um, and then we played all of like everything. We played Oriental Adventures. We played uh, Frostborn. Frostburn, sorry, which is like Arctic campaigns. We played Sandstorm, which is like desert campaigns. Like we we did everything, um, and like uh, we we had to mix and match of DMs. Um, so like my I DM'd uh, quite a bit. My brother DM'd quite a bit, um, and then our friend Matt DM'd quite a bit. And like actually, I have a Thursday game I play online, which is back with my old high school buddies, including Matt and his younger brother Marcus. And his friends, we all used to play together in high school. We've actually, since I moved back, started playing together again on Thursdays. Um, so it's been kind of cool to do that. Uh, but 4th edition came out. I was super excited for it. Not a lot of other people were. And then um, I I loved 4th edition because at that time it was me in college and I was sort of getting away from uh, like 
sort of moving on and I ended up having to teach a lot of people how to play Dungeons and Dragons and 4th edition was superb for teaching people how to play versus 3.5. Oh, I I agree with that. I've never had experience with 3.5, but I super agree that that 4E was a great addition to jump in on, especially because like my social group all came mm-hmm. from World of Warcraft. Like everybody we play yeah. D&D with, we also play World of Warcraft with. Nah, that's yeah, good. Yeah, and a lot of people accused it of being a ripoff of World of Warcraft instead of D&D for, like, obvious reasons, Oh, it was, it was. Like, there were some warrior abilities that, like, I most egregiously, I remember this warrior, like, power or whatever the hell they called them in 4E. Yeah, they were It's called, like, spin to win, and that was, like, a popular saying about, like, warriors in World of Warcraft. No. Because they had this... They had this ability where they could, like, turn into this tornado holding their axes out and, like, take out a bunch of enemies and do an AoE thing. Oh, my God. And it was called a... Yeah, it was called the Spin to Win build. And there was, like, a... There was an ability called Spin to Win in 4E. Fun fun fact, it actually came from Diablo, and Warcraft brought it up from Diablo's uh, Whirlwind Barbarians. Oh, well, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Everything always has to be derivative of something. It was also called... Yeah, that's true, and it's all derivative of D and D, because like all modern RPGs, thanks to D and D. Full like, circle. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, that I I was actually moved out and married um, by the time Fifth Edition came out, and uh, Fifth Edition I got. I didn't have a lot of people to play with, so I actually had little, uh, little in. Um, experience in fifth edition up until i moved back home here i mean i had played here and there i dm'd a group every once in a while i had played um i had played pathfinder a couple times online um and again i mentioned i don't like pathfinder because it's basically 3.5 it's not anything different and just expound expanded upon the content well yeah that's the point well the reason why i don't like it is because it didn't progress anything it was just it was just like hey here's more options and it basically made the problems with 35 even worse it's like okay so now it's even far more complex it became more and more complex the more you added to it without really having a thought of how to progress it which in then then they really turned it around in second edition uh, pathfinder because they thought about it and they streamlined it and they made it deep and 5th edition, my problem with it is they streamlined it, but they kind of made it a lot more shallow, in my opinion, especially for characters, um, like their options and that kind of thing. So, yeah. And then, like, as you guys know, in the campaign, I have made Pan's ancestry, the, the Yuan-Ti or the Serpent Folk, uh, because it was so actually easy to make. It, it's easily customizable through all those feats and that kind of stuff. So... I am really enjoying. This is the first time I've done a serious effort to make you know homebrew content um, in Pathfinder 2e because it's actually not hard to do and it's not really you know not that really broken. I don't think. I don't think there's anything broken about what I made, and I felt like that was because I understood it well enough to make it. So, anyways, that, yeah, that's my history with uh, D and D. I guess we have some list of questions to get through. So yeah, Mossy um, Mossy posted some questions here. Um, I don't know if we'll get to all of them because like, um, I have nothing to say about D and D and literature. I know you do. Um, I don't know if oh Mark yeah, does. basically I Lord of the Rings, and that's it. 
Yeah, I have very little to say on D&D video games that we haven't already covered. Yeah. I think we did we do a D&D based video games night. It was it was on a list and we ended up picking um the recent one we did with the uh Okay. No, no, we did Western Dungeon. RPGs, which was basically D&D based video games. True. Okay. So I don't feel like it like if you guys want to do like number 6 and 7 that I put on that list, we can, but I just I don't have anything to say about them. Okay. I I I I feel I can add to both of those. Honestly. Yeah. Oh yeah, I can yeah, I can say it... a lot about these uh these questions that he has. Holy crap, seven questions. Okay. Yeah, and then I had one that I can't that I kind of came up with, but we already covered question one uh, from Mossy. The, your earliest D and D memories. What was the first campaign you played, and how did your first run at DMing go? We already kind of covered that. Mm. Uh, I will say one of the uh, one of the things, and I talked about this a little bit on D and D BTS when I did the Sue Monster article. The first monsters I threw at people were Sue monsters. Oh. Ever. And Sue monsters, if you're un- unaware, are psychic monkeys. And that was like, why did I do this to myself? These are the most insane things ever. And it was a world of one party of my friend's basement. Psychic like, monkeys. Hmm. Oh yeah. See, you, you'll have to look at my article, not to plug myself, but like the the they're insane, and they're they're actually from pretty old stuff. I don't. Yeah. I haven't seen them in anything since. No, what? I don't think there's been anything like that since then. I remember reading that article. I don't remember it, but I remember reading it, and being like, huh. This is a monster I've never heard of. Why does it sound yeah, like which that is... one, uh, that super intelligent gorilla from the Justice League? Why does it sound like that? Oh, it's, it's not. not. It's not. They're more not like monkey demons. Psychic monkey yeah. demons. Oh my goodness. Yeah, they're freaking evil. They are so evil. Okay. So, uh, let's, um, do you want to go over question number two, or do you think that's outside the scope of this podcast? Um, I don't, I don't think we need to dwell on it too much. Um, just like other pen and paper RPGs we played. I mean, sure. I, I have stuck with D and D for the most part, uh, which I consider Pathfinder essentially be D and D. Um, I don't really make a difference between the two because they're the same setting, same kind of stuff, same classes. Yeah. Yeah. Pathfinder. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's not D and D air quotes around the word not. Yeah. Right, it's it's their flavor of it because they didn't like what 4th edition was. And then now they started making money on it, so they're running with it, which is good for them. Yeah, yeah, um, no, competition and variety is good. Um, uh. I will say I have played Vampire the Masquerade. Um, did not enjoy it, did not enjoy... I don't really enjoy modern settings a lot of the time. Um, I actually had uh, Morgan, I don't know, or Pan, if you guys saw my... my why Bloodborne sucks, uh, one of the big points that I don't like... Modern RPGs is like a gun is like, hey, a gun does three d six damage. I'm like, no, a gun literally kills people in one shot most of the time. So like that doesn't make any sense. And if you're going to try to be realistic, like, um, uh, unless it's a with, demon or an eldritch horror or like some sort of a cursed human being that's turned into some sort of crazy abomination with like fast regeneration yep. and just like yeah, yeah, right. That's when any, guns any are like, sort of yeah. RPG that that throws in a gun. I don't think anything has ever done a gun justice on how powerful a gun is. Have you played Cyberpunk? So, no, I haven't. Oh, it looks okay. so good. Okay. No, I'm not talking about the Cyberpunk video game. I'm talking about the oh. pen and paper RPG that that video game is based yeah. on. 
So, um, are they super dangerous? They are. No, here's the thing. This is the thing I love about cyberpunk. Okay, so mm-hmm. I guess we're going to talk about my RPG history now. Um, so like I said, I've played Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. I've played 4E and yeah. 5E. The, there are two other uh, big pen and paper RPGs that I've played. Um, one of them is Cyberpunk 2020. By the way, my husband is like so sad that COVID is a thing because he wanted to do a Cyberpunk 2020 campaign this year. Well, 2020 giveth yes. and 2020 taketh everything. Yes. So yes. Cyberpunk 2020 Cyberpunk 2020 is a dystopian uh, RPG system <clears throat> that this guy <clears throat> uh, made up in the 80s based on like, you know, the <clears throat> The distant, far-off, dystopian future of 2020. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, there are there are guns, because, of course, there are guns. And here's the thing. You are a normal-ass human being with some cybernetic implants. And, I mean, there are some really high-end implants you can get that, like... Eventually, you can, like, make your skin bulletproof or something. But... Yeah. You can die to a gun. Like, any asshole with a gun can kill you. Now, if you are an asshole with a gun, you can kill pretty much anybody, too. <laughs> mm. This so, is interesting. Yeah, so there's that. Um, and uh, the the big things, with, there's, there's one big problem with Cyberpunk 2020, and that's the hacker class. So hackers, they have all these cybernetic implants so that they can plug into computers like R2-D2 and hack their way through the computers, right? Mm-hmm. So... And hacker hacking takes place at the speed of thought, right? Uh, Basically, it does because um, they plug their brains okay. into a computer. So, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> they plug their brains into a computer to hack the computer. So it takes place at the speed of thought. Um, mm-hmm. So if you have a hacker in your party and they do the one thing that they are specced to do, which is hacking, the entire game grinds to a fucking halt while they do their hacking mini game, uh, and the rest of you guys kind of just derp around and do nothing. Yeah, you mentioned this when we did uh, when we talked about Cyberpunk the video game. Yeah, yeah. So like, just nothing happens because you have to, like the mm-hmm. hackers are doing their like hacking encounter, which can take up to forty five minutes or an hour. So you either have to play with Jeez. an all hacker party or a no hacker party, which we learned the hard way. Anyways, yeah, Cyberpunk twenty twenty. Yeah. Uh, it's a really interesting RPG system. I'm not going to say it's a great RPG system because it was made in the eighties and. There's been a lot of quality of life changes to RPGs since then. Yeah. But they do use guns, and most guns are lethal. Most guns are lethal with, like, one or two shots. Like, if you get hit in in a gunfight, you are just kind of down for the count. And that makes sense, and I appreciate that, because I don't like guns generally as, like, a real-life person, but they Mm -hmm. need to be respected for their power. They really do. And, like... I take them very seriously, and when a game is like, hey, it does, like, one damage because it's it's not what we're focusing on. Right. I'm like, you can't justify that. That doesn't make any sense to me. So, and here's and, the other thing, is that if you get into, like, a firefight, you know, um, mm-hmm. that means you fucked up and someone in the party is probably going to die. Yeah. Like, it, it is not a combat-heavy game. Or if it is combat-heavy, then, like... You you keep continually fucking up. Right. I remember uh, Vampire, the Masquerade, the guns felt very weak. Especially because we're vampires, but also... That makes sense. They're weak because, uh, like, it took, like, 
10 shots to take down a human cop that we played with. Oh my against. god. Yeah. And I also don't like the fact that we just gunned down a cop because he caught us. Like, I don't... <laughs> like... Yeah. Well, let's, like, we're not... We're, not, we're, we're gonna step I'm away not, from no. this issue right now, Fort. No, I'm not trying to be political. I'm just saying, like, it, the, yeah. the campaign design was terrible. The yeah. justification for what we were doing uh, was just not good. Okay, so I've got a question. That, that in... would be would be my horror story question, but uh, I have a worse one. <laughs> okay, so I have a question about pen and paper games outside of D and D, and you know, we'll we'll include Pathfinder in this. Um, so could we include like maybe um. Uh, game novels or adventure novels? Like, uh, you guys have played Warlock of Firetop Mountain, the novel, right? Are you talking about, like, mm. choose-your-own-adventure type things? Um, kind of. I mean, Goosebumps had a line of them as well, where it's like, um, if you make this choice, then you turn to this page, but if you choose that's that choice... That's a choose-your-own-adventure. Yeah, kind of like that, yeah, but, like... Um, with Warlock of Fire, Top Mountain, you had to have, like, sheets of paper in order to be able to keep track of, like, your inventory, um, the status of, like, how much you've eaten, how many rations you've eaten, like, the amount of starvation you have, how much health you have, um, there were, like, a number of things that you had to do in, in order to be able to keep track of, in order to be able to get through that crazy novel game, um, would that count as a pencil and paper game? Technically, I wouldn't think so. I mean, technically, the book is like the it, DM. I think, it's, I think it's, I think it's adjacent. Yeah. Oh. I had, I had a choose your own adventure cell phone game, and I was trying to look for the, the name of it, but I've deleted it. Okay. It was actually really cool. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't really call because there's a difference there. Morg is these are social games. Choose your own adventure is solo. Uh, yeah, that's that's a, that was the distinction I was gonna make too. The funny thing is, is that I actually include, uh, well, I included my sister and my brother in, in, into playing this, so we were like, okay, we're gonna be three adventurers that are gonna try and get through this warlock of fire atop mountain. You know, three of us is better than just the one. You know what could go wrong, huh. and so. <laughs> <laughs> we ended up diverging, splitting up, and then just, like, trying to complete the campaign and see who would get there first and get, like, the treasure at the very end. And, <laughs> yeah, we did not get very far. We ended up just running ourselves into circles. And I think one of us died. I was like, oh, no. I got attacked by a ghoul. It paralyzed me, and it ate my butt. And I'm like, oh. And he even says it in, like, the narrative. It's like, yeah, it eats your rump. And I'm like, that's not cool. Oh, lol. That's not cool at all. I'm, like, paralyzed and still alive, and it's eating my butt. Very unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get that tender meat. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, what class were you? Hang on. Never have I ever experienced a moment in a, in a book that was so sensual as, like, you know, the ghoul sinks its teeth into your rump. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> great. That's rough. <laughs> oh, good gravy. I just keep thinking of that, that those clips from uh, Cow and Chicken where they're eating pork butts and taters. <laughs> that mm -hmm. show was just all about butts. It really was. It was amazing. I can't believe I got away with watching that show. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it was goofy. Ren and Stimpy was the same way, and Ren and Stimpy has some bad stuff. I, I oh, did not man. get away with watching Ren and Stimpy. Ren and Stimpy um, can be really disturbing at times. Oh, my goodness. That's, 
back on That's topic, why I though. Su- I'm surprised they went to SpongeBob from that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> back right. on topic. Uh, so I guess we move on to number three then. Favorite character you've played? Favorite oh character God. you've played, and do you have a preferred class? Morg, do you need to think about it a moment? Oh, no. It's not very hard for me. Tongo was the best character I have ever played. Although, Drazil is probably a close second, but they're both druids. The difference being was that Tongo was the thickest, like, the juiciest, like, the most health I had ever played druid. Uh, I think it was a <laughs> Circle of Dreams? No so wonder they wanted like, your butt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He mm-hmm. was he was like su- he was like super tanky. He had uh, an armor class of nineteen. He had over a hundred health easily at like I think level eight, and he was just constantly healing everybody. And <laughs> the problem was is that he was incredibly stupid, <laughs> and he was constantly activating traps in Chult. And I think, okay, so how many characters did we actually go through? Um, one of my friends ended up. Uh, going through about five characters. Another one went through four. Another one uh, lost two. And I only lost one, and that was Tongo. And then I transferred over into, I think it was an Aarakocra, um some sort of a cleric. I can't remember which cleric it was, but it it was really... Is this yeah. all 5th edition that you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, this is all 5th edition. I, I haven't okay. played anything else but 5th yeah. edition until recently get, getting into Pathfinder with you guys. Um, and we never picked up any of the earlier editions, but I've been looking back at some of the stat blocks for a lot of those monsters and trying to convert them into 5th edition to include them into um, some games that I had planned out. But 4E monsters yeah. were so much more flavorful than 5E monsters. Oh my god. You're telling me. Oh yeah. You're telling I me. I can agree. I feel like I've just 4E. I've just propped up a soapbox for 420 here. No, I you know I mean I won't I won't get into it, but yes, the the I was to say that I was disappointed in 5th edition's monsters is an understatement. I, like they didn't yeah. even have things like the phoenix like they went they went for such middle of the road monsters like there's not really a lot of big oddballs in the fifth the the standard book oh that, yeah. yeah yeah that's that's my problem too is that like there are no like there are no like instru- interesting mechanics for like anything no no like, no like the best you got is like the vampire who can turn into a mist no, I, I homebrew so many abilities for monsters because I just hate how flavorless they are. Yeah. Yeah, it, it bugs it bugs the shit out of me. That is my big complaint about Fifty. I love the stat block maker program that I have on my computer. It is phenomenal for making fifth edition stat blocks, but like being able to make your own like abilities for monsters and to it's like oh i could just give everything legendary abilities yay and i can oh i just go willy-nilly yeah and i can just flavor everything to be whatever i want it to it's it's just it's better than the books i'm gonna be honest with you like so so fortuan uh what's your favorite character you have played oh wait sorry mark what was your favorite class oh my favorite class Oh, shoot. Uh, I think it's a tie between Warlock and Druid. There's a lot you can really do with the Warlock. Do you have favorite subclasses? 
Also, yes, tell us what the fav- the best things you can do with warlocks, but what are your favorite subclasses? If you're talking fifth, you got to talk about the subclasses. Okay, so if we were talking fifth edition, um, honestly, I feel like the undying warlock is probably the weakest one, unfortunately. But I did get a chance to play with the unearthed arcana deep one. That one is just great like it, it is so good you get to produce like an ethereal tendril like wherever you want and it protects people up to a 10 foot radius being able to make it so that they only take half damage from an attack and then it fades out of existence or it can be used to attack monsters in your stead um you can create i think it's at, i think it's at level 10 i can't remember it's been a while since i picked it up again but um, you can produce, like, this sort of, like, uh, a ghoulish ectoplasmic maw. So, like, a giant set of, like, ghoulish teeth that come up and they can um, attack uh, creatures within, like, I think a 10-foot radius. Um, it can also restrain them if they fail an athletics or dexterity check. Um, so, it's got a lot of crowd control options. Um, with Warlock Evocations, you get, like, Devil Sight, so you're able to see through magical darkness. So if you cast a darkness spell on top of yourself, your opponents will have disadvantage attacking you through the darkness, and you can just Eldritch Blast the crap out of everybody else. Um, you get a ton of flavorful spells with Evocations. <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> Sorry. I love Sorry, that meme. I had to put that in there. I love that meme. But, I mean, like, uh, with the Warlock, there, <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a lot of customization with that... Uh, character you don't really get a lot of spell slots i think you get two at max but your spells are always going to be at their most powerful what i really wish that they had included with the warlock was to be was the ability to be able to change out your spells like um like for for each level that you go up you could change it uh, oh wait sorry for each uh long rest you could change out your spells but um, that feature is not in there. So you ha- when you're playing a warlock, you have to be really careful and be very mindful of what kind of spells you're going to be picking from it because what you get is what you're stuck with for the rest of the game. So getting a lot yeah. of concentration spells is probably a bad idea. Um, but yeah, there, there are a lot of options for... Also, I found out that warlock is probably the easiest one to multi-class into because... If there is a yeah. yeah, if there is a if there is a class that you're intending to play as that you want a really good spell on the side to have with that you otherwise would not be able to get without having to pick a level in warlock, picking a level in warlock is really good because then you get eldritch blast which its damage increases based upon your character's level, not your class level. So that in itself is really powerful, especially for people who want to play like a paladin warlock, which is um, really weird having a patron and a god that you praise to at the same Here, time. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> that shit is why I don't let people multi-class into warlock unless they have an in-game yeah. reason to do it. Exactly. Because you know what? I had I had someone multi-class priest warlock. Oh, <laughs> and I had their god revoke their powers for a while. Yep, yep. You gotta, you gotta have something happen. Like, it, it, there has to be reasons why a character would do something that would make it so that they would have that power. That would make you, you sense don't just, to the story. you don't just casually try to, you don't just casually go like, hey, you know what? I feel like studying some warlock shit for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah, that, yeah. I minored, I, I minored in eldritch studies. Yeah, I've, I've, I've always found 
multi-classing to really just be sort of like a way to sort of try to game the system. So a lot of times, uh, some campaigns, especially in my earlier days, I banned multi-classing. Yeah. Because I was just like, I'm tired of your bullshit of just trying to get numbers out of this. No, we're playing a campaign. And I, I mean, but I had to do, in my high school days, I had to do a lot of like really harsh stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's also where um, I had a rule. You aren't allowed to play the gender you are not identifying as and as a real person because i am tired of you guys pretending to be girls and sleeping around for half the campaign oh dear I've god never, that has I've happened i've never had a lot. that issue i've never had that issue probably maybe because i'm a girl i don't know um but let's uh not not to be not to be the jerk for it but let's stay on topic and we can get to the horror stories next no, I, I not think... even close to my horror story. <laughs> oh my Jesus! Yes. Oh my Bahamut! Yeah, come on, Fortuan, tell okay. us about the traps. Oh, well, wait, boy. no, Fortuan didn't tell us about his favorite character or his preferred class. Yeah, yeah. All, all I can say is, yeah. yeah, yeah. The warlock is definitely um, a class that has a lot of flavor to it. Actually, you know, it probably actually does have the most flavor out of all of the uh, out of all the classes that you have, I... story wise, definitely. Because you have to constantly um, be checking in and seeing, well, did I do a good I, job, I think, patron? And then they're like, I, yes, yeah, yeah, but you should probably. I think be all doing the religious this. classes. I think all the religious classes, which I would call a war- warlock a religious class, are sort Definitely. of equally flavored. The occult. Yes. I think that. I think that the flavor comes largely from how the player uses it. Well, honestly, <laughs> that's true. Okay, so yes. I suppose the religious classes are kind of a gimme to the player. Yeah, I mean, I played an extremely flavorful, flavorful, flavorful ranger in fifth edition called Nil. He was a parody of Link, and it was amazing. I mean, granted, I like there are there are a number of people who, when they're playing the paladin, rather than you know playing a lawful good character, they play a lawful stupid character. Yeah. Where it's like, yep. I have to that's an easy the that's ball. an easy trap for paladin. Oh, yeah, it's a cool. very easy trap. When yeah. is anybody ever going to play like an Oathbreaker Paladin and be like, I defy the ways of, the, you know, those fools. I want power. You I know, mean, because, okay, uh, honestly, I don't allow Oathbreaker Paladins. Half of the emo crowd. I don't have to, I don't allow Oathbreaker Paladins because you have to be an asshole to be an Oathbreaker Paladin. And I uh, really don't want people to have characters who have an excuse to be an asshole. Oh, well, I mean, like, I, I prefer lawful evil because... You can be um, genteel on the surface, and you can follow the rules or seemingly follow the rules, but then kind of like try and be but, sneaky and get away. But with no a few player things. does that. Yeah, well, I do sometimes. Uh, that is that is exactly what I did with my it was second edition, but uh, I had a lo- I had a lawful evil champion, which is the <coughs> Pathfinder two of of Paladin, um, just unaligned is the champion uh paladin would be a lawful good one but i had a lawful evil champion that was multi-class into sorcerer with the death uh like undead heritage Ooh. uh he was super charismatic and he was like trying to help everybody but secretly killing people in the alleys Ooh. between like <laughs> i had a um in fourth e i had i think it was a blade singer who was basically like mm-hmm. that oh that's cool <laughs> so yeah, I mean I've done it, but then again, I feel like I feel like I, I I'm a pretty decent player a lot of the time too. Like I'm not 
I haven't had to deal with the, you know, the herbal, what we used to call them is the herbal essence games where <laughs> would just do the herbal essence commercials and the waterfalls and it got really tiresome. Oh my goodness. Um, I feel like there's, there's honestly a big difference between people who have DM'd a lot who finally get to be players and then players. Yeah, that's true too. Because um, there, there is, there is this attitude of like, oh no, I know how big of a pain in the ass this character archetype is to the DM. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Which I try to well, avoid um, as often as possible, but I mean, like, there, there is always going to be that one person who wants to play the asshole and then, like, you know, completely disrupt um, uh, player cohesion or at least party cohesion. So then that way, you know, there's always conflict in. I ended up having to deal with a bard as a, as the barbarian, the the aberration, uh, the abomination barbarian that I play as, and because. Oh, yeah, maybe maybe we'll talk about that one later as far as Nightmare Fuel. So what's your favorite class, Fortuan? My favorite class is 4th Edition Warden. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, you might. Uh, so yeah. essentially, think of a paladin for the woods. Yeah, it's... Like, um, that's what this guy is. Yeah, in 5e, it's like the Oath of the Ancients Paladin. Ooh. Yeah, so like... I you got to do a lot of nature magic and there was a lot of defensive things for the party and you were just a tank in the front and then you actually did a decent amount of damage as well. Um I only ever had one uh and he was a minotaur named Bajor Critus. He's actually my wow uh he was actually named after my Bajor Critus was my um Torin uh ranger that I made in like the like burning crusade wow so it's it's the one instance where i named a D character after a game that went into D D versus the other way around most of my stuff is named after D D characters i made oh um, yeah Cabrera, that's, that is you're like what yes yes come inside um so bjork i actually have his character sheet here um, oh my god i was i was doing that um He's not my favorite character, so I won't go too much into it. Um, but yeah, he got like uh, he got like a gore attack. He could do it on tax opportunity. Um, he could do a charge attack for free. Uh, when he was bloodied, he got extra damage, which bloodied was a thing in fourth edition. Uh, if you got less than half health, you got bonuses. Um, he was only ever. I mean, he's level eleven, so. His bar- Paragon Path was Beast Blood Minotaur, um, which that's one thing I like about Fourth Edition. Also, is you got to choose these different paths. I, I miss the Paragon. F- I miss those. Yeah, and, and so Fifth Edition they kind of do it with the class, but it wasn't. This was a little more broad in Fourth Edition because it also could come off of your race. Right. Um, so, so to explain briefly to Morg, so basically you chose your class and you made your character, right? Mm-hmm. And for the first ten levels, that was your class, unless you multiclassed or whatever, you know. Okay. And then at level yep. at level eleven, you could basically switch classes to a paragon class, and your paragon class mm-hmm. was usually based off of your race, or off of the um, the cl- or off of one of your classes. So, for example, um, the uh, dragonborn, a a dragonborn paladin could later become like a basically based off their class at level 11 they could choose to become like an avatar of their deity 
Ooh. Mm-hmm. Um, or they could um, become uh, this this racial uh, paragon class called the Scion of Arcosia, where basically the ancient the ancient dragon empire bloodline has awakened within them, and they have realized that they uh, are chosen to defend the memory of the the ancient dragons. And so then the Dragonborn actually gets, like, more draconic features. They get wings, and they get a whole bunch yep. of other neat things. I hope Same a tail. Kobolds. I hope a tail yeah. is one of them. Dragon rock kobolds get the same stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, and each yeah. race had a different paragon class, and each... or Yeah, each race had, like, a different paragon class, and each class had one or two paragon paths. Sometimes three or right, four. Because, th- like, there were a few that had three or four. Like, cha- like fighters had a bunch. Of course, yeah, fighters then, would have a bunch. Um, you hit level twenty, which, by the way, built in the books in fourth edition, level thirty was max, not twenty. Um, ah. Then you got an epic destiny at level twenty, or twenty-one, I think, actually. Yeah, and it's and epic yeah. destinies were far more generic. Um, they were just like the later stat the later four ebooks had some more specific ones. Right. Yeah, but the default ones were fairly generic. Yeah. Um couple good uh one thing about the the warden in general uh so like obviously uh powers is a, is how they used it in fourth edition so you have at will which is at any time you have encounter which is once per combat essentially then daily which is pretty ex- self-explanatory and there's utility powers which were things outside of combat you could use that some classes got mm-hmm um what the all of the daily powers for wardens where you actually morphed into something. You did sort of like a druid wild shape. Kind of. You 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 semi-morphed. Yeah. Um the wardens were kind of like if a druid and a pal- if a druid was a paladin. Oh, okay. Right. Um one of my favorite abilities was form of the sentinel. You turned into a treant and you were unable to be moved. Yeah. You were rooted in the ground and you gained like a 10-foot reach no matter what you had. So you could just sit in front of your party and say, no, you have to get through me. Uh, and this guy had, what, I'm looking at it now, 29 AC. Yeah, so, that's that's a stupid amount of AC. Yeah, so, like, it was fun. Um, I, I love the Warden. I think uh, if a class was to return in, in D&D, I liked the themed classes as well. So there was arcane powers, there was martial powers, there was primal powers, like... All classes fit neatly into these little, not just roles, but they all fit neatly into these themes. And I liked that a lot. Because, like, you could do, like, hey, we're going to do a primal theme. You can only pick primal classes. In what? I've always wanted to do something like that. In um, in what edition did you get an armor class of 29? Good, sir. 40. I was level 11. Oh wardens God. were stupid. Wardens, wardens had a stupid amount of AC. Oh my god, that right. is just and dumb. That, that was my, that was my role though. Like I, it was my role to keep everything focused on me, and then like keep, you know, keep the basically strikers, which was the role of the damage dealer. Oh, I see, I see. Hmm. However, I will give a shout out. This is not again not my favorite character, but Fortwan, as everyone knows me on the podcast and D and D BTS, is actually named after my very first character, which is a human rogue named Fortwan. And has later evolved into the pseudo writer that is doing the ecologies. There actually is a descendant of that rogue 
that is canon in my ecologies, the the wizard writing that stuff. So if you read a lot of my ecologies, there's actually a lot of storyline and about Fortwan himself in that stuff. Um, I've actually kind of hidden secret information in my ecologies for the past five years uh, dealing with Fortwan and his legacy. Wizards of the and Coast. The world around him. Wizards of the Coast better make him a canon character. Nah, not really. Um, so my favorite character, and this is also 4th edition, by the way. Um, this is the only character that went from 1 to max level that I have ever done. Um, so I, I, I am holding this character sheet. It's actually, it had so much stuff on it, I had to print a new sheet and put it in landscape form. Because there were so many things I had to write. It was actually a landscape form of the character sheet at the time, too. Um, but this guy, uh, his name was Thalder, which I get his name wrong all the time, which I don't understand why I always did. <laughs> he was level 30. Uh, he was Eldrin. And if anyone's familiar with 4th edition, elves were no longer just elves. There was elves and Eldrin. Yeah. I, I maintain that like distinction in my elf. setting. I remember that, yeah. Uh, I, I have not, and I was thinking about it um, before we started playing, but I didn't really feel like making another race until I was comfortable and hey I did it already so I might do that yeah I maintain um, that distinction is... which by the way that makes me think of another question to add to the list if we start running out of questions which I don't think we will but you know whatever yeah yeah <laughs> I I agree um, so this was a level 30 Eldrin wizard with a paragon path of bonded summoner um, so I used summons a lot for my wizard stuff. I basically was a summoner wizard, and it was fun. And the epic destiny of Sage of Ages. This guy had advantage before advantage was a thing. So all of my attacks, I got to keep the better. I always had advantage on all of my attacks. Oh, man. Um, but that was one of my epic destinies, right? Like, this was... This is, like, the highest power of character that I could achieve. Um... It's insane the amount of things he could do. He had a plus uh, 26 on any sort of spell roll. He had a plus 4 longsword of lightning. Like, he, like the tactic of this, this wizard was to summon a ball of fire. And, to, and it was physical. You couldn't move through it, right? And he would push enemies into a, like a funnel between it and a summoned... Uh, a lot of times I summoned an owl bear or something like that, a large predator, <laughs> and and funnel them in together so they can only go back and forward. They can't go left and right. So I was taking up space. I would then do a second concentrated spell because I had stuff that could do that that would block the back of it. So they're funneled into this U with our melee fighters trapping them in this box and us ranged people, including myself, which I could levitate all of us, shooting down into, like, shooting fish in a barrel. Um, this, like, it was insane. And I, I basically unlocked that ability to, to do this strategy in my early teens of levels. So it wasn't as efficient as it was at level 30. But, um, yeah, it, it's the most mechanically thought out character i've also done well uh done is also and yeah i had all sorts of <laughs> like rituals and stuff um he's actually kind of poor for how how much he had yeah he's only got a thousand gold 
Um, a thousand gold is still quite a lot of gold, but then again, I mean, like, I don't... Yeah, but at level 30, that's, that's that is That's piddling money. So at level 30 yeah. in... At level 30 in 4th you are, at that point, taking classes in deity. Oh. Not, n- yeah. That's not a joke. Like, by level 30, you're taking, like, levels mm-hmm. in deity. Yep. Yeah, so like listen to l- listen to this stuff. My at will powers were actually not that much. It's just like uh, magic missile and scorching blast. But my encounter powers they're going to start sounding crazy. Steel time, force volley, chain lightning, and planar gateway. Oh, steel time! Was like, steel I could, time is bullshit. It does sound I know. like it's bullshit. I could do that every battle, like every encounter, every between every short rest. Of course, I had. Daily powers, which, by the way, I have a choice of three oh, daily yeah, da- powers dailies, for every yeah. daily power. So I have Summon Bond and Protector, and then listen to this. Prismatic Slay slash Cinder Storm slash... I can't even read that one. That one's two. And then it's like, the other one is like... Slummon, summon Black something, which I don't even know what that is. Disintegrate and... Yeah, it's all it's all abbreviated so much I can't read it at this point. But by the way, this is this is from 2009. So like <laughs> it's an 11-year-old yeah, character sheet. I was going to say that is the, like the year so, I met my husband. Yeah, this is the year I moved out. And the, the reason there's a good reason why this this character is special. It was also the last session I ever played before I moved out to move in with my uh now ex-wife. And it was the last session of the sessions at my parents' house that lasted from when I was 13 till then. So the eight years that we played every Friday or Saturday night, um, that was the last session, and we hit level 30 on that session. I see. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so that, that character is always going to be my yeah. favorite. Um, probably. And, and my good friend Matt, I mentioned earlier, was the DM for that one. And they wanted to give me a big, like, sort of going away party. It was like, sort of, it was my better bachelor party. I had a real bachelor party later, but it was the better one. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, uh, there's uh, the warden and Thalder. I don't even have a second name for him. He's just Thalder. That's fine. Yeah. So- cool. <laughs> All right. Pan, what's what? You haven't got to answer this yet. Right. So here's the thing. I mm-hmm. um. I, as far as characters I have played in campaigns, mm-hmm. none of them honestly rate close to some of the the recurring NPCs that I have. So interesting. Yeah. Um. Here's the thing. Like, uh, even my most favorite like character, like player character that I have played, uh, Grabber the Rogue. Even she, yeah. I only played her for maybe a dozen sessions. Because, like, I haven't mm. been able to be in a stable D&D group. So, um, so I, I would say if, if I must answer uh, as a character that I have played uh, as a not a DM, uh, it would be Grabber the Rogue, mm-hmm. who is a lizard folk rogue. Um, by the way, Rogue is my favorite nice. class. Uh, I like being utility. I like being useful. Um, it's no surprise that I yes, am the rogue in the Pathfinder game. Yeah. <laughs> I like the yeah. utility. Yeah. I like being useful. Um and I like that I can just lean hard on sneak attack if I need to be useful in battle, but I like the being useful <clears throat> out of game thing. 
Uh, and Grabber yeah. uh, is, if anybody here has li- read my uh, write-up on lizard folk, Grabber is the consummate mm-hmm. lizard folk woman. She is a young lizard folk, about 13 or 14 years old, out to sort of make a name for herself so that she can come back to the, her tribe uh, as a full-grown adult uh, with many trophies under her belt so that she can, like, select, like, one of the best, like, the best mate. That is her yeah. great ambition in life. So she wants to kill something real big and strong and carve up, like, a piece of its body so that she has a piece of it to prove that she killed it. That was her ah. ambition in life. And, uh... Interesting. Yeah, and as a lizard folk, which in 5e, lizard folk, every lizard folk has the ability to, like, on a short rest, they can, like, uh, like, carve up a beast or a dragon can. There's a whole list of, like, kinds of enemies they can carve up and make, like, simple items out of it. So Grabber's thing is, after, like, every major battle, if there was, like, a big monster or something that they killed, she would, like, cut a piece out of it and make some sort of trophy out of, like, the leg bones or something and add it to this necklace that she had. So she had, like, this charm bracelet mm. of monsters she'd killed. That's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and her big her big thing was that, like, when she, when she like, filled up her charm bracelet, she was just going to go home and live a quiet life as, like, a uh, revered member of her tribe. So that's that was my favorite player, like, character that I ever got to be. And I actually... I have a Hero Forge miniature of her that I uh, I oh, had commissioned a few, cool. or my husband commissioned it for me for my birthday or something I think, or it was a Christmas present. I don't recall. And then he painted it for me. So, so she's out to make story. some mo to get a Joe. Yeah, but like she. When I yeah. was uh, go ahead. When I was in the apartments in Dayton, uh, I actually did get to play a little bit. There was a big stint where I wasn't playing D anD D because I was with my x and she didn't like it um i got to play a second edition character um named gizmo who was a gnome he wanted to be the world's greatest chef so he would carve up and eat every monster in between to see if they were good tasting or not and i made the dm decide that (laughs) yeah uh (laughs) grabber definitely ate questionable things as a lizard folk because the Mm -hmm. one of the big sort of core tenets of lizard folk religion in my in sort of my uh, understanding of it is that uh, if they if they like kill like a, a worthy adversary, they honor that adversary by eating their flesh and uh, consuming their power. So to, yeah. to grab her, the most honorable thing she could do to like a uh, worthy adversary was to like carve a trophy out of their bones and eat their meat. Ooh! And she, so she she was not shy about like telling her her uh, party mates that if she died she hoped that they would carve up her skin and make a good waterproof cloak out of her hide or something (laughs) (laughs) so uh funny thing like so while morg was talking about his his warlock stuff i actually managed to pull out a character from every edition first second third fourth fifth out of my binder that i have sitting around here i have a character binder so yeah, Gizmo was the second edition one I pulled out. <laughs> Gizmo. I, uh, but anyways, yeah. Gr- was also a thief. Was a rogue also. Where Thief was the second edition oh, version. Yeah. Darn it, now I'm thinking of the Mogwai. Ah, oh, just don't feed it after midnight. Or you'll get a chub oh, chub. Yeah. That, that gnome was a thief was a thorn in the dm side i started and gnomes were supposed to be slave races and i picked him and he's like that's a slave race i'm like yeah let's see this i made a slave revolution and freed all the gnomes in his universe yeah i, 
when anyone's like, well, that's a slave race. Yeah, yeah that's, that's why I made it that way. Yep. <laughs> of course. We will be I, slaves I, no I usur- I usurped his ideas. We didn't play much after that. Well, but... <laughs> so, so Grabber is definitely my favorite like player character I've played. Yeah. Uh, but my favorite character that I have played uh, is not a player character. It's a it's an NPC that started out. Um, I called him at first. I just called him the Bard Prince, and I just vaguely have either of you seen Labyrinth? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're okay. Uh, okay. You're so I vaguely had Jareth in mind, or David Bowie in mind. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah. It's it's a long story that I don't want to dive into because that'll take forever. But basically, one of my play or Fortwan knows like how you had to become a bard in D and D second E. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, you, you had, had to, to like take so many levels in fighter, stuff. and then so many levels in rogue, then you had to get a druid to teach you druid secrets and all this other bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So one of my players heard about that, and he decided he wanted to roleplay as an aspiring bard, but he started off as a fighter because he wanted to go through this. So eventually, when he got to the part, we had to have a master level bard like acknowledge him and invite him into the bardic tradition. I made up this character called the Bard Prince, and I sent him this letter, and like they had to decode the letter. And they went to go meet the Bard Prince. So I basically mm-hmm. made up this sort of fey uh, being who wasn't a Ladrin in the 4th E sense, not the 5E sense. I hate 5E Ladrin. But he was he was a higher elf. I didn't even know they were in 5E. Yeah, Holy they cow. are. Okay. They are. Um, they're more like if Druid was a race. Okay. Ooh. Which makes no sense. Yeah, yeah I hate them. Because they were the magic attuned ones. It. I hate it. Yeah, yeah, no. There, I. So he was a four. He was a four E Aladrin. He was an elf who was deeply connected to the Feywild. Um. Mm-hmm. So they go to his island. They sail there. They have an adventure where he basically does the Yoda spiel. Where like, oh, you're looking for the Bard Prince, eh? Maybe I know of him. And they're like, oh, they're like, this guy's the fucking Bard Prince, isn't he? I'm like, no, he's not. And but then, I bet you're uh, looking for him. Yeah, basically, that that's the stuff I pulled. So I yeah. I did this whole like trials of the Bard Prince, um, and I I forced the player character to do this this whole role playing thing. This this was a completely non combat session. After he'd revealed himself to be the Bard Prince, and he was this like absolutely beautiful, stunning male model of an Aladrin. Yeah. Yeah. He said, <laughs> "Okay, so you you have three days until this big party that I'm throwing, and in three days' time you have to steal." Uh, you have to steal that which is most precious to me without my notice. And you may you may have the assistance of your of your party. You know, that way the other players would have something to do. Mm-hmm. So then for the next like f- Good to call. Yeah, for the next like four hours, they like they like role play interacting with the Bard Prince's staff at the at the house and investigating his house under his nose. And the player character who's trying to become a bard, he's like, Well, you know what? I'll just go up to his music room, because of course he has a music room. And the two of us will write music together and hang out and drink and talk and do all kinds of rock star shit uh, to keep him busy so he doesn't notice the other guys sneaking out about his house. So I'm like, okay. So, mm-hmm. you know, roll persuasion. He nat, he nat 20s it, all that jazz. And every time I have him to roll on this, like, he, he gets a super high roll on it. So, okay. So he keeps him pretty well distracted and they're having actually a genuinely good time together. The other players, like, sneak around the house and uh, they find um, this painting this absolutely ancient painting where they're afraid to touch it because if they touch it, it might crumble to dust. And it shows uh, oh. these sort of 
renditions of the five most powerful deities of the realm as if they were adventurers. And next to the and next to them is a uh, very, who is very clearly the, this guy that they've been calling the Bard Prince, Orpheus. And so they, they figure it out that uh, the Bard Prince, who is kind of, he's kind of suggested that he is sad and alone because he has said that his friends all moved on without him long ago. Mm-hmm. They realize that uh, his, all of his adventuring friends ascended to deityhood a long ass time ago and he never did. Oh, so no. he is like a sad and lonely character. That is so goddamn that, tragic. Aww. Yeah. Um, I have a full write-up on this on r slash gametales. I can link you guys later if you want to actually like read way more details than I'm going to share here. But uh, basically, they bring us all this information back to the bard character, the bard player. He's like, oh my god, I know the perfect thing. So then they go and they steal the guy's armor that he hasn't worn since like his adventuring days. And they you know, they do magic so that it fits it fits the bard character. And then on the day of the party, they uh, they go and they play before him. they play. Uh, you know, he he dances around the party playing in like that bard's like ancient armor. And in the meantime, they have like the religious characters send off prayers to their deities, begging them to come to the bard prince's party hmm. because he hasn't seen his friends since their ascendance. So then, then Pelor and Karelin and Bahamut all show up to the party, and uh, the Bard Prince is just stunned that someone like did this kindness to him. Hmm. And uh, yeah, so by by the end, wow. yeah. So by the end, the Bard Prince admits that the uh, the player character stole his heart when he wasn't even looking, and he has won the challenge, and so therefore he will sponsor him to become one of the true ancient bards. Yay! Nice. That is such a payoff, too, for everybody. Yeah, it is. It is. And so this character, Orpheus, the Bard Prince, he has become a sort of recurring character for me. And currently in my setting, he is the chief deity of the Elven Pantheon because Corellin was slain. Oh, yeah. Okay. Corellin is like dead, deaded in my in my setting. So Orpheus, who was Corellin's best friend growing up, uh, you know, in my setting, of course. Uh, is the current sort of chief deity of the elves, which is something he doesn't like. He's he's learned that he he's not he's not the leader type, and he's currently trying to pawn it off. Hmm. But that's a story for another time. You know, there. You know that you're talking about the the deity stuff. So like I'm been like, I've been working on deity stuff behind the scenes for you know Tuesday's games and also my world in general. I've dabbled in it. It's one aspect I never got into, but like I noticed something about a lot of players in recent times that something that I do is like not a lot of people actually have like a religion under their character a lot of the time. And me, because I'm religious, I normally have a religion for my character like nine out of ten times, even if they're a wizard or see, something. that's why I was asking like, you about that, that the other it was day. Interesting. Yeah. And I just like, well, so I was like, well, no, I got to do it now. Cause like I hadn't really, I hadn't done a lot of world building cause I hadn't got to do such a big campaign like this <laughs> yeah. until now. Like I, it's been a long time since I've done like a long-term DM. I've done a lot of one shots and in, in the recent years, but not a lot of campaigns. 
Oh, I've, I yeah, I, I I find that extremely interesting. I forgot to tell you. I forgot to tell you the the big thing that uh, the big sort of moment from that session. My bad. I, I forgot it until just now. Um. So mm-hmm. they uh, so they're like, you know, what, you know, we'll give him this poster, this picture that they found like in his storage room that he's probably forgotten about. You know, this picture of him and his friends. Mm-hmm. They very carefully mm-hmm. roll it up into a tube. And they cast gentle repose on it so it's preserved. And they're like, hey, give this to mm-hmm. him and his party. So they, they go to they go to give it to him. And the bard character is like, I must confess that I was not the one who actually stole this. My friend stole it while you and I were enjoying ourselves uh, in your uh, conservatory, which is a, a music room. And mm-hmm. he's like, oh, of course, truly one cannot stand alone in this world. The, the aid of one's friends is, is, an, is a noble virtue. And he says, uh, so then one of the other characters, he, he goes up and he s- drops this bomb on me and he says, uh, he hands, he hands over the poster. And as he's like opening the poster and seeing this picture of like him, like with his adventuring party from like 10,000 years ago, uh, the, the yeah. player, he says to me, parties may break up, but our memories are eternal. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And like I like legit started crying. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. D and D can get emotional. I, I, mm-hmm. yeah, I understand that. I actually caught my DM by surprise when um, this was a um, a homebrew D and D session that we did, and I was playing as Drazil, which was um, I believe it was a Circle of the Lion Druid. And he was super duper wise. And um, what was happening was there was this wizard who um, uh, was using his uh, using magic to preserve his daughter, so then that way she would not pass on into um, the afterlife to become an angel. And um, this deva came in. Oh, sorry, no, a solar came in and um, abducts the woman. Uh, or abducts the girl so that uh, she would ascend to become an angel to lead into the armies that would uh, fight against hell. And so what happened was um, the party was sent by the wizard to go and at least try and reason with the uh, with the Solar to try and bring her back. And by the end of the discussion mm-hmm. that they had, well, it was funny because I had Drazil hide from the angel because um, okay. yeah, the party was, you know, trying to reason with him, and he was like, "There's no other way, you know. We need we need her in order to be able to help lead our armies. You know, it's for the greater good." And so the wizard comes the in, good. and he's all like, "Give me my yeah. daughter back!" Ah, whatever and he's casting spells or whatever. And then so Drazil comes in, and he protects the Deva, uh, and then the DM's like what? And I'm like, yeah, it protects the Deva, and he shouts out to the wizard, you must find peace, whatever. And so, you know, yeah, and then he goes to the Deva, and he's like, <laughs> you know, you have to make him understand, you know, because he, you know, he may be an old, an old wizard who's lived a long time, but, you know, you know, he's responding to this as a child would, you know, he doesn't understand, you know, the necessity of things, and, you know, he doesn't understand that, you know, his daughter isn't dying, that, you know, her life is still eternal, and that She'll always love him, you know? You know, you have to help him understand, you know? Yeah. He's not being, you know, he's not the bad guy. Nobody's the bad guy here. And 
of course, I did it more eloquently than, you know, the summary of what I'm, you know, describing here. And my DM, he was so caught by that and so touched by that. He was like, my God. And everybody was like, he is such a deep character. He is so noble and understanding. And, <laughs> and it led to like this amazing, beautiful moment. You know, oh man. It was it was just absolutely fantastic. I don't think we'll ever get a, another moment like that in D and D ever again. Oh my goodness, such a spiritual That's character. Awesome. Um, none of my characters have done anything like that. Most of my like favorite stories, along like someone being emotional and really appreciative, is just the fact that I ran that D and D game so long at my parents' house, I've had a lot of friends of mine come up and say like, Hey, you know, I, I was struggling with depression or, or, um, drugs even, you know, for one guy. And like, you guys were always the safe place to go to on Friday night. Like we would always be like their safe spot. So that night that I was, you know, the last session that I had, I had a lot of friends that were, it was a, pretty big emotional time for a lot of us um because it was me sort of like leaving mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i some of those people i've never seen again oh wow since then i don't even know where they are um Oof. i think one of them's in columbus uh um but i mean some of those i'm playing with on thursday also so port hmm. yeah Your discord name is misspelled yeah, it's, I it, did it. Oh, it's 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 pronounced Fotwan. Fotwan. I feel like that's what, how my son would I... pronounce it. Fotwan. <laughs> uh, yeah, let me change that nickname. Um, to not having a nickname right now because I was like, I was goofing around saw and saying Almighty DM and stuff during the game. Okay. Um, but yeah. Um. So I guess we'll move on to the next question. Um, Morg, I don't know if you've DM'd, right? Oh. So this one won't, won't pertain to you. I've DM'd. As much? I've DM'd. Okay. And it's... <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. I have made... So strengths and weaknesses. Okay. My strengths are the crazy planning. My weaknesses... <laughs> are having the flexibility to work with some of the crazy um, things that people do to try and undermine my plans. And uh, I'm not very an on-the-spot kind of person. I like to have all of my ideas sorted out and all the potentialities all figured out, you know, all the different choices that people can sort out, whatever. And I, I'm going to be honest, I hate modules. I really hate modules. I love oh, I homebrew because I know exactly what I'm doing, what I have intended or planned out, and then I can I can um, uh, ad lib and I can just think of things on the fly to get people sorted in the right direction. With a module, it's very stiff, it's inflexible, and um, I'm unfortunately um, you know uh, only creative in certain ways. Not in the ways that I can work very well with a module. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I like being able to create my own worlds, not really adhering to or catering to, you know, what is written already in a book. It, it, it's not fun for me. Um, 
and uh, balancing issues. That's something that I also have to consider as well because I'm a I'm doing this for my first time. I was like, <laughs> I, I like to give people challenge, but unfortunately, I don't know how to weigh out challenge in in a way that is fair. Mm -hmm. So it's, I still I still need to figure 5e. things out. Honestly, it's far yeah. it's hard in five e because CR on monsters is not uh is like it's not as accurate as you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Because um no, yeah. and C CR has always been has always been like third edition had it right, and um even second and first went off of a similar a similar concept of CR right. Um, I don't know if they called it CR. I'd have to pull out the books to look. But um, only 4th edition was monster level. And they would say solo or yeah. that kind of stuff to indicate it was strong enough. And that's that's another big reason why I like 4th edition monsters is it's a lot more informative on how powerful something is. Mm -hmm. Whereas, um, I, I kid you not, my old license plate for my car coincidentally was FCR. <laughs> <laughs> just like just like the first three letters on a license plate my old one was fcr and that came out like right about the t i that was my license plate right about the time fourth edition came out and that's how it was so easy to remember it yeah it's fcr 2323 that's a retired plate now so you don't have to worry you're not gonna stalk me, but, <laughs> um. but no i mean like i'll agree that's that's how i feel about some of these things it's like f the the challenge rating like sometimes it's just it's so annoying and of course, I don't even do that anymore. I don't either. I, don't, I like, haven't in a long time. And like, um, yeah, it's yeah. here's what's in the area. Here, what could be appropriate, and here's this crazy thing that you shouldn't fight called an owl bear. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like when when I have the opportunity to be able to present situations now, for certain characters, like uh, the party that I'm with, they power game. I know it, they know it, and so what I'll do is I'll I'll deliberately hype things up, but I also like to add like some no. flavor to certain dungeons. Like for example, there was one I can't remember what it was. Um, it starts off where you go into like some sort of like a mountain keep where there's Dwergar and there's orcs, and at the bottom there's like a, a black dragon. I can't remember the name of the of the. Um, of the uh, session or the um, the dungeon name, I can't remember what it was called, but um, I remember mm -hmm. that I started adding a whole bunch of stuff to it. Like I know that um, on the first level, you have to deal with a bunch of orcs, and they've got like one ogre leader that has like a couple of wolves. Well, I started going so, in there and I started adding things like an Etten. I started adding like uh, ogres that had like uh, giant like crossbows. They're almost like ballistas. And then I started adding orc chiefs into there, into the mix. And I started making it very interesting and very complex. And um, when people were, you know, starting, when the players were starting to get into it, they, they were encountering things that were, on the second level, there were troglodytes only. I started adding things like trolls mm -hmm. and sturges. And the way that I introduced the trolls and sturges was the sturges were trying to you know, suck the blood from the trolls and the trolls were like, you know, treating them like mosquitoes, mosquitoes like, get away from me! Ah! And then they would mm. run into the party and the party would be like, oh crap, we have to deal with now this rampaging troll that's going to trample us and these sturges that are probably going to take notice of us and try and suck our bloods or whatever. 
And then, like, once they go up back up to the first level or whatever to try and release prisoners that I had set up for them because I wanted them to go the through the first level, I had it sorted out so that the orcs were actually taking some of their own kin and then putting them through, like, this weird cultist ritual where they would be in this giant soup pot and then they would slowly turn into a troll by being merged with, like, this liquid spell ooze, whatever it was, and these magical incantations. And so, like, yeah, like, the players, they were like, this is actually really cool. Like, I never would have thought that anybody would do yeah. this. But, yeah, when I, when I was like, I'm like, yeah, we got to make this fun, you know? <laughs> and I think okay. I killed, like, two players All with, right. like, some sort of, like a, um, like, a rope bridge that the orcs just happened to cut. And... Yeah, that was the most fun that we had, but then I kind of broke the game when I started adding werebores into it, and then they were like, oh crap, we're not doing any damage. And then the players were like, this is unfair! And I'm like, yeah, I might have pushed the limits of this a little too far. Okay. They were only level three. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Pan, uh, your strengths and weaknesses. So, um... This, this one will come as no surprise to you, Fortron, because you've been listening to my stories about my games for years. Oh, yeah. That's why you're still my number one I wish to be a player in your campaign. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the big, my, biggest, my biggest strength is that, uh, like I said earlier, I've been playing D&D with more or less the same group of uh, guys uh, since 5e came out. Mm -hmm. And I say guys unironically. They're all men. Um. Yeah. But, uh, so, I mean, we've, we've traded out people as, like, people moved away to grad school and people came back or, you know, people got new jobs and they could, they could suddenly play, etc. But it's still been more or less the same guys with a few switch outs here and there. So, my biggest strength is that I can play the long con. Uh, my husband, who is one of my players, uh, is sitting about three feet away from me, so I can't tell current details, but I can say, like, Previously, like, I have had villains pop up after they've been, like, quiet for three or four IRL years. Like. Yeah. That's yeah. One of my favorite, one of my favorite stories is this was, this was an introductory adventure to, like, to, like, a campaign um, that they, that they just started up. And they, they basically, they had met this nobleman who, uh, he was a super batshit crazy man who was, like, convinced that that eldritch beings were, were invading his mind and they were going to take over the world. Uh, after they sort of solved his problems and did a bunch of quests for him, uh, they found out that there was a kernel of truth to it. He was a, he was a nobleman with amnesia and who had had visions as a child of eldritch beings coming from another dimension and destroying the world. And that's why he was obsessed with it. And he also, he yeah. revealed that he, um, he was actually this the antagonist of my very first campaign, who had been like slaughtered and in cold blood, uh, but because someone else had had a vision oh. that he would someday be a bad guy. Before he, so he, they basically shot Hitler when he was a baby. So, anyways, he was like, "Yeah, I, I, oh. I was once this this mighty prince, and the gods saw fit to to spare my life, and my my memories were taken from me." Please, we must go to the capital and warn the Empress of of what is coming. So they they go they go to the capital. They they escort him to the capital, and they they make this plan to sort of hijack the uh, 
hijack the court that she is holding so that way she has to listen to what this guy has to say. And as they're like walking up okay. to, like walking up to uh, the throne room, one of my players says to me, he, he says, "Hey, wait a second. Wait, wait. This empress isn't she the the excuse my language here. I'm literally quoting someone. Isn't she that lesbian princess okay. from the last campaign? No, 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 no." No, no, the no, the, the her guard was the lesbian. She was straight, or maybe she was bi. I don't know. She might have had a thing with the guard, but she was definitely into that one guy, Captain Ironjaw. Oh my God! Yeah. What happened to Captain Ironjaw? He was a badass, and he was like a he was a favorite NPC. Yeah. And my players had collectively forgotten that Captain Ironjaw was a prince who had basically been given a traumatic amnesia because he'd been assassinated but he'd miraculously survived the assassination he had amnesia and he was just a know-nothing soldier in the army yeah captain iron jaw was the guy whose amnesia they had just fixed but my players like didn't realize that they didn't put that together and i just like suddenly start giggling trying not to lose my shit and i'm like hey guys guys come on no you guys have an important thing to do let's get to that and one of my players says, no, we're not going fucking anywhere until you tell us what happened to Captain Ironjaw. And so I'm like, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap. Uh, Captain Ironjaw, he was listed as a casualty at this battle at such and such on this date. And his body was never recovered. And I'm like, well, damn, he died a hero at least. Oh, that's some good thinking. Yeah. Oh, so man. Then, so then they go in, they, their plan to hijack the court uh, goes perfectly well. And then the nobleman that they have escorted across the country so as he so he can come and give his warnings to the Empress. He says, you know, my, my Empress, my lady, you may not you may not remember me. Uh I in a previous life, I was once I was once a prince, a member of your family even. But I was I was assassinated by this guy, and I lost my memory, and I for years I wandered as a soldier of your army. And once again we met you knew me as Captain Ironjaw in those days. Oh, and oh boy! My players <laughs> lost their shit. Oh, that's so good. So yeah. Anyways, my my greatest strength is that I can play the long con because this was an NPC that they had forgotten about. They had repeatedly forgotten about that because I had dropped breadcrumbs that Ironjaw was this lost prince and all this other crap. So that's that's my greatest strength yeah. is that I can play the long con. I can like drop breadcrumbs that I can like a year later I can go back to and be like, hey, you you fuckers missed on this like years ago. I and don't go, know like, why. <laughs> I was gonna say that I don't know why like uh, uh, Iron Jaw like reminds me of like Baron Wilhelm Underbeit from like oh yeah uh, absolutely Bros. oh my that's, god. So that's the thing is that he was maimed. Uh, he was maimed in a battle. And uh, one of the players, they, they saw this soldier who had been maimed and they healed his wounds, but his jaw was, like, completely destroyed. So they, like, fitted him with, like, this prosthetic. Yeah. Oh, so that's my why he was God! Iron Jaw. <laughs> that's why he was called Iron Jaw. Oh, I love it. I but, love it uh, so much. Awesome. As it turned out, the person who gave him amnesia had actually maimed him, so that way his face was not recognizable. Oh, yeah. Okay. Very but yeah. clever. But his his amnesia told him that he was injured in a battle, and that's why his that's why he needed a new jaw. So anyway, so that's my big strength. Um, 
one of my big weaknesses is that, and this, this has been sort of something that's kind of difficult for me to come around to, is that mm-hmm. a lot of time, like, I sometimes get really, really annoyed with some of my players, like, weird-ass, goofy ideas. Oh, okay. I have a really hard time dealing with, with their goofy plans. And I, some like, sometimes I, ro- you know, sometimes I'm like, okay, you know what, whatever, roll with it, see where this goes. And that's what a DM should do. And other times I'm like, no. No, your goofy idea doesn't work. And it's stupid. And no, it's not happening. And stop <laughs> trying. <laughs> and yeah. I, I can, I can I, get stubborn about I this. I can feel that frustration. <laughs> yeah. Well... I mean, I, I don't... Yeah, because it's... Uh, Fort one, I don't push the boundaries for my silliness, do I? Okay, let me be honest with you, Morg. As a player in D&D, no, you haven't. But sometimes when you say, oh, I don't know, um, something like uh, spooky games... Like fucking... Like roguelike? <laughs> Plants versus zombies... <laughs> <laughs> Well, as far as a play as a character Morg, playing Morg, D&D, no, y- no, no, you have not done anything that that has annoyed me in D&D. Oh, thank no. goodness! It, it's it's it, um, but you've only played with me three sessions, right? So I actually like you know the the, the voice you do and that kind of stuff. It's I don't think I've been annoyed with anything yet. Okay, no, thank in, God. In, in <laughs> Caloran. I've been annoyed with myself because I hit a writer's block on the, uh, um, the the deity stuff that I've been wanting to work on. Yeah. But like, <laughs> that was also because my room was like 130 degrees. And <laughs> then again, I mean, like, and you then know, like I, I don't blame you if you're getting like annoyed with me trying going like what? What do you mean by that? Like Super Mario it, Three is not a roguelike. But I mean, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, um, oh shit! I'm running out then, of ideas. <laughs> oh, man. And I was a little annoyed that when I asked for help, um, some people were like, hey, you should do this. I'm like, that's not what this is. They're like, no, 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 you should totally do this. Like personalities of he- I was doing humans, essentially. And they're like, no, you should make the person like talk about personalities and things of humans. I'm like, that's up to the player. That's entirely up. Yeah. To the player. Yeah. I'm yeah. not going to dictate. I'm not going to say that humans tend to have this personality. Because they're we humans. were talking about like, we were talking about that to Jesse the other day, weren't we? Uh, I don't know if we were because this list was like um, this has been this week that um, it's been both Doug and Dio that have been like really pushing this idea of like <laughs> here's what you can do with oh, your yeah, humans. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, and I'm like, um, thank you for the input, guys. Let me write some more on it, and I'll get back to you. Has basically been my PC answer at this point. Cause I'm like, I, I don't agree. Like I just a hundred percent don't agree that I should be writing personality traits. No, no. I just so don't. it's, it's okay. If you're writing personality traits, you're going to use a system similar to like Jesse's uh, one page lore rec- lexicon system. But to me, right. To me, humans are like the sort of vanilla, like, I I don't want any sort of predetermined uh I don't want any predetermined anything about right. this character. Like if you want if you want to be a freaking right. lizard folk, you are clearly going for a thing there. 
Yeah, yeah, and humans are the most generic because they are the most adaptable, and like that's—I mean—that's true in a lot of D and D settings. Humans are ambitious and adaptable, 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 adaptable. That sounds like a dinosaur. Uh, I know. I love it. Um, but like the thing I'm writing, and it will be available to everybody, including you as players, and and that's why I wasn't always okay with like saying like, "Hey, here it is," you know, while I'm working on it is because it's like, here is the general history of humans in my world, right? The history and current social issues and that kind of stuff, the things what players sh- should know if they would just care to ask, right? This is like all known information about this race, period. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and then like, it's not meant here to be like, how do you play this race? It's like, no, it's background in case you want to be a human or you're curious about humans and you're not a human. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so, um, back on track though, Pan, um, so silly ideas, which I'm with you on that. That's why I banned, uh, um, playing a different sex and herbal essence commercials. Easy breezy. That was, beautiful I, I, but I had, girl. I had to do it. Oh. I had to do it. I had to ban Is that stuff. Is it time stuff. to talk about <laughs> horror stories? <laughs> Well, I, I haven't got into my oh, strengths my bad, my bad. Go for that, and then we're going to talk about horror stories, I think. All strengths, no weaknesses. Okay. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> um, I think um, one of my biggest strengths in D&D is what I like to call D&D jazz. Um, it's kind of like what you were talking about more, that you don't, you don't that your weakness was, the adaptability mm-hmm. of like something goes off the rails. Uh, I like to call it D&D jazz where I can just roll with the flow really easily. Um, one of my, if you, if you ever look at like top comments for 420 on Reddit, one of my early ones that was like really top is actually in r slash d and like, uh, DMs, it was like a question to DMs, like, how do you deal with, um, like players catching you off guard and not revealing stuff? And like my comment is I'm a pro at the straight faced. Okay. Like, if someone does something and I didn't expect it, I'm really good at blanking my emotions <laughs> and just saying, okay. Um, I've actually had to do that twice already in um, in Tuesday's sessions, and both of the times we're dealing with the owlbear. <laughs> um, which, to explain Pan, they tried to take on the owlbear at level one, and I gave them a lot of outs. I, I assume something like that had happened. And I took that attitude yeah, when talking they, to them the other night. Yeah, yeah, they were, uh, they were, uh, they were trying to fight above their belt, and they got out alive though. Um, it, it, but like that's something I do in D and D a lot. Is my my world building do, isn't just like, hey, this is like progress to your guys's level. I do some of that with based on what you're actively trying to do like i'm not going to say hey go take out this dragon at level one but like there right. are going to be things that are more dangerous in the area not unlike skyrim oh, yeah. i would say no and like yeah and if you are a party of level ones who suddenly just has a boner for going to kill a dragon what happens is your problem not the dms they die mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah they die right. uh there <laughs> I, I did try to save a party once um from that very action, they decided to go try to take on a dragon. So I actually brought more people in, and it went pretty well. Like we had a, we made it like a night of like a special session 
where we, when I invited like maybe five or six more people and made it like a big party, like a big raid against this dragon. It actually worked out pretty well. Um, but so I, I saved them in a believable way. I feel, um, but that was, that was years ago. Um, uh, so like my, I, I, I'm really good at adapting to the situation and what the party does. Uh, and I have like, that's why anymore I just have little plot hooks. I don't have these big grandiose stories because that plays into my weakness as a DM is I have a twofold weakness of, I like to make these grandiose stories and I don't know how to get from point A to point B on those grandiose stories a lot of the time. So I get bored as a DM coincidentally i also have very bad uh, because i'm so so good at the 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 jazz part of it of going with the flow i end up not ba- making a lot of believable or memorable npcs along the way um for um, real i can like give you i can so talk I'm, to you sometime about that because i've got i've got some solid tips for that and i i and i'll def i probably will take you up on that pan um but i am trying to do that with what we're doing on tuesdays um, like I, I feel people have, uh, engaged with big sword quite a bit. And I think people are going to remember big sword because of his attitude and because of morgue. <laughs> I haven't uh, met big sword yet. So I don't know, but sure. You, you have, um, oh, yeah, big sword but it was and more significant guy, to right? them. Big sword is yes, great. Yeah, big sword and serious guy. Yep. But I had to give them nicknames cause they never asked their names. Right. And so they're not used to just <laughs> and see, here's the thing. Cards. I literally have like, a notebook here with like lists of NPC. I have a notebook right next to my hand of NPCs whose names I've asked in your mm-hmm. setting, because I, I know, I know that I'm going to need names at some point. Be like, Hey, I want to go talk to X. Where is X right now? <laughs> right. At a, and, and this is the first time that I've started taking notes for my own stuff that I say as well. So that tells you how bad I am at NPC stuff. I'm good at just making up a name and forgetting about it. Oh, me too. It. I'm bad at remembering that name. Me and, too. And making go. I've done that it. many times. Unless it's unless it's so, an NPC that yeah. I want to keep around, like like uh, Iron Jaw. Yes. Right. So I don't, but I also have, it's been a long time since I've ran a longer session campaign. Like I think my most successful campaign that I've done in a while was actually a one shot on Dinosaur Island. It's actually posted on Reddit, the whole thing. Uh, Not the experience of it, of how to run Dinosaur Island with the maps and what I did. Like, (laughs) um, it was literally just a one shot of like, hey, um, and it's meant for level 10s. So it's meant to be like a higher level campaign. You're going to stop two T-Rexes from basically destroying each other and disrupting the environment um, on behest of a gold dragon. And it's it actually worked really well. I ran it in second edition here for my parents and his, their old D&D buddies uh, a couple that years ago. That reminds me of this old, like, from the 1950s, like, uh, book about this kid and this horse that he met. Because, like, that's what 1950s books were about. Mm-hmm. Um Remind me tomorrow because I'm gonna look this up. Because like that is that is like the mm-hmm. plot of this 1950s young adult novel. <laughs> Except it's horses. I've never heard of it. So I'm try- I can't re- I can't recall the title, but that is like kind of the plot of this 1950s adult young adult novel. Is trying to stop two T Rexes no, from destroying No, it's each about other? these. It's about this young adult who's like on a stranded island, and there's these two like there's this herd oh. of horses. And there's these two stallions who are like ripping each other uh-huh. apart, 
and the kid recognizes that if these two stallions kill each other, this third stallion, who is like an inbred monster, is probably going to be the only stallion left on the island, and it's going to mess up all the horses on the island. Oh, uh, so he has to save yeah. them to save themselves. Yeah, yeah. I need okay. to I need to like look up this book because that's that's all the details I remember. I remember I read this book when I was like twelve. Yeah, I I have a book that I remember about the Crusades that I read when I was twelve. Like all I remember is the kid was a counter. He was an apprentice to a counterfeiter. They got caught. They cut off the counterfeiter's hands, and he got sent to the Crusades. And he killed a horse during battle once. That's all I remember. Well, <laughs> back to D and D. Yeah. Um. So so. Uh, I guess we can move on to horror stories. Um, and I'll go ahead and get the suspense out of the way and start with mine. Um, so my, my, my D and D horror story is actually as a player. Um, I didn't have a lot of good friends in day uh, when I lived in Dayton. Um, it was actually very hard for me and I looked for years to try to find a group and I eventually, uh, I eventually started one, um, after this point with a lot of the same people, but, um, with me specifically as the DM, because I'm pretty sure that the DM couldn't handle being a DM. Well, this also plays into the fact that I don't like Pathfinder one, uh, because this is what this was played as. Uh, I was a new parent. Um, I was, uh, and the, the ex was away at work, uh, on weekends because she worked weekends. I worked during the week. Uh, and so I was bottle feeding the the my oldest daughter with heated milk at the time. So like she would pump and yeah. I would feed the baby with the pumped milk. And I th- it's important to the story. Oh, trust me. Oh um, no. Um. So one of my I was uh, I had a, I had a decent friend at the time, and his good friend and him were playing in a giant Pathfinder 1 session. Now, if I remember correctly, this was in this this guy's house, uh, his basement. So they invited me to come over and play. Um, th- there we had the DM, the DM's wife, who had her laptop open playing Candy Crush the whole time. <laughs> so was she a player, or was she just, we had, just happened to be there? She was a player, and she was playing the net, net decked build of a summoner for pathfinder one if you guys ever look this stuff up it's just insane basically a summer's invincible okay there's nothing you can do about I, them they're insane i don't i don't have anyone who i don't have anything against someone who wants to net deck a dnd like build i really don't but i do i do have this is not my one horror story but i do have a horror story about candy crush during dnd continue Oh, okay. So basically, her character was so powerful she didn't have to give a shit. So she played Candy Crush. Oof. Oh my goodness! Um, we then had a Blood Rager, which was uh, everyone net build, and I, that is for me. It's a pet peeve. It's a pet peeve in Magic. It's a pet peeve in D and D. I think D and D is a big part of like a big part of it is making your own character and your own story. That's why when people say that all oh, the Rangers Rangers suck in Fifth Edition. My favorite fifth edition character literally is a ranger because I actually made it work and I made it fun. Like it's not about how powerful something is about how you play it. And, but everything one was like net build, including my good friend, which annoyed me, but whatever. Um, the other person was a witch 
and then we had a rogue who was using guns, and then we had um, my good friend's wife who was very new to the game who was playing a cleric, and then we had a halfling uh, thief, a rogue as well. Um, and then they were like, okay, they, by the way, they are tending towards hard evil in this campaign. Like, oh, the no. witch, the blood rager, um... This, and the one of the rogues are chaotic evil. And um, I asked the DM, we, we, we texted a little bit back and forth because I was joining late because uh, they, they wanted a new player. And I was like, okay, I'll, but I'll have to bring my daughter because it's only me on the weekends and it's just me and her. So, like, I'll have to bring her. So then, like, I would have to go there and I had to heat up the milk on a hot plate. So I was doing a lot of stuff to take care of the baby while I was playing uh-huh. as well. Um, and for me, I had a lot of anxiety taking the baby out of the house. Oh. Um, I actually went through, like, a lot, a lot of anxiety just to go out of my own house at, at any point other than for work. Because I knew that the that my significant other was there to take care of the oh, baby. Oh, you... So for you, me, you don't it was have like, to explain it was that a big to me. Stress. Like, I I remember yeah. those days, Morg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like Morg, I don't know if you ever intend on having kids, but like, good lord, that first month is a wild fucking ride. I have been in a uh, relationship. Well, this with, was like I've been in a relationship with a single mom, and I know exactly what it is to raise a kid. <laughs> it's not fun. It's not <laughs> fun. Even when the kid, you know, means well and is, you know, usually pretty well behaved, you know, it can be quite a struggle and it requires a lot of energy, a lot of patience, and a lot of attention. Oh no, my dude. I'm just talking like I'm just talking like that first month where you have this it, tiny human that might just randomly die on you for no good reason. Oh yeah, my it's god. That. It's, it's that's what I'm talking about. Well, I was. Oh. I also had. I also had other pressures that you know the stuff that I'm in therapy for now happening at the time. So I had a lot of anxiety at that time. So like me going to this place to play D and D was supposed to be like a stress relief. Ended up twofolding my stress every time I went there because I was like taking care of the baby. So, anyways, back to the actual D and D part of it. Um, texting back and forth. I was like, okay. Uh, what what fits the group? What's in the group? And he's like, well, it's a lot to list out the whole group because, I mean, it, like, what? I listed six people or something, so I'd be the seventh, which, yeah, whatever. I'm handling seven now. So I wasn't really too concerned. Uh, I was like, okay, so what fits? He's like, well, you can play anything. We've got a lot of bases covered. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, I guess I want to be a dwarven paladin because I didn't think that they were evil. And his appropriate response would have been maybe not a paladin or, hey, they were probably leaning towards evil. Right. Oh, right. So if you want to be a paladin and they're doing hard evil, he would have been like, um, so this is the situation with the group. Maybe you be a dark paladin question. Or or something along those lines of, hey, maybe think of this. He says, no, that's perfect. We need someone to set them in oh, line. Oh, no. I'm like. Oh, no. Um, as in, like, healing, I guess? I can do some healing. It's, that's the way I took it. I was like, that threw a red flag for me, but I was like, whatever. I want to play D&D. I want to get out of the house. Uh, oh, no. I haven't played D&D in years. I think it had been six years since I played in person at that point. 
Um, so like I was just like, yeah, I just want to play. So I get there. I learn what everyone is, right? And I also learn we are di- working directly under an evil lich to help revive him. And they are getting paid oh, for Oh, no. It. But in the end, it was supposed to be okay because the party was going to betray him. But, I mean, I could see it clearly on the DM's face that that wasn't going to happen. Because he thought he was more clever than the party. Um... So then there's this, like, basically this this volatile DM, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, don't worry, we also have a three-strike system, so if you die, technically, you have three strikes, then you really die. I'm like, alright, I mean, it's a little easy yeah, going, that's... I guess, so whatever. Uh, I, I, I'm normally just like, oh, you died, I'm sorry. Here, make a new character, you're good. My only requirement is you don't have the same race-class combination, is usually what I used to say. I probably won't say that anymore, but then again, I had harder rules in high school because I needed to. <laughs> um, so yeah, so like, uh, I'm like, okay, so how am I okay with this? Like, I the big thing for me wanting to play this character is like, I could use a wild boar as a paladin mount. That was like my big thing. Is like, I can use a wild boar. It'd be amazing. So like, the role play stuff I learned through the role playing. They didn't tell me that we were working for a lich. And so, like, when we encountered him, but, like, not at his full power, like, all right, I'm going to try and kill him. He's like, everyone's like, what? And I'm like, he's evil. He's a lich. I'm a paladin of, and I don't remember what it was, but it was, like, the the equivalent of Paylor, uh, or Moradin or whatever in, in Pathfinder 1. And uh, actually, Sage would know, because Sage was trying to play as him um, that under that god. Um uh, I was just like, yeah, I'm going to try to kill him. He's like, you're, you, that's one of your strikes. I'm like, what? He's like, you're just dead. Like, what? Oh, he's just that powerful. He just kills you with a thought. And I'm like, cool. Okay. I said nothing the rest of the session. I just participated in the battles and I never went back. Um, it was the most like, and everyone was sort of like treating me like an idiot for like having gone to this now that 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 happened like three sessions into me going the whole learning about the i went to three sessions and all three of them were cringy for some other reason or whatever but that was sort of like the 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 end of it is just like no you died because you defied my like plan essentially (laughs) how dare you defy me i got a strike because i didn't want to follow your plot of working for a lich when I'm a paladin, which you told me to be a paladin because that would be okay. And like, yeah, if I had known what this was, I wouldn't have been a paladin. I straight up would not, I wouldn't have been good. I can play an evil character. That's fine. Like, but I just did like with no direction and anything. So like, I was just like, I'm done. Like I, I, uh, uh, I didn't like, I just, I texted him. I was like, Hey, um, it's a little too hard with uh CC. I just can't, yeah. I, I, I just, it's a lot of hassle. I'm just, I use the baby as sort of a cop out and it not, wasn't really, it was a big issue it's for the me, new parent's but I was willing power, to put though. up with it. Yeah, it is. It is. And yeah. then I didn't play, I didn't play again until I was divorced and moved back home. So that was a good four or five years. So like it was a six year break of playing and then I didn't play 
in person again until I move back here. So, yay! <laughs> I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. There have been sessions where I've uh, where I was having like a really bad time, and uh, due to COVID, we were all on Discord. So, I would. <laughs> <laughs> I was such a big baby because I was getting nothing but bad rolls because um, I was using the uh, the virtual dice on roll 20 and it was giving me nothing but oh, bad yeah. rolls. And so I deliberately muted myself when I was like, no, I am not talking to anybody right now. And they're like, come on, we miss your voice. And I'm like, no. And I text that and be like in capital letters. No, no, no. I'm not talking to any of you guys. I'm pissed off. But then they'd be like, oh, come on. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then and then I think we finished off like uh, the campaign with me just being completely muted. And then we would start the new one in the same day. And they were like, I hope that he comes back on because we do miss his voice. <laughs> but I was like, dot, 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 maybe. Maybe. <laughs> And I eventually Jeez. came back on because so, my mic started working again. Uh, so, Pan, what about your horror story? And we'll, okay. we'll get, get some morgues. So, um, real quick, uh, Fortuan, uh, feel free to edit this out later when you do the, uh, when you do the, uh, sound editing. Do you want, uh, mm -hmm. do you want a, uh, potential sexual assault trigger warning before I start this story? I mean, we can just use that as that, okay. like this, this, like right now, like if you guys are triggered by a sexual assault at this point, probably tune it out for the next 20 minutes or so, or I'll, I'll do, uh, yeah, edit in. I'll, edit I'll say like, in. Hey, welcome back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Fortran will edit something in. I'm going to be quiet for about four seconds. So that way there'll be a nice pause for Fortran to sound edit something in. Just giving a warning, if you don't want to hear about rape, skip to the 2 hour and 17 minute mark. Okay, so uh, you'll recall uh, earlier I said that, you know, uh, when I first started getting into D&D 4E, uh, we had these summer games where, like, my, my boyfriend was actually the DM, he's my husband now, and there was mm -hmm. basically, the people who played were all of his, like, friends from high school or college, Almost anyone that we could get to come to, to show up to the games every weekend. It was a bit fluid on who was there and who okay. wasn't there. And um, to be honest, uh, he and I have uh, disagreed on who the person was who instigated this situation. Uh, because I remember it one way, he remembers it the other way. And in hindsight, his version of events makes more sense than mine. So I'm just kind of... I remember it being one person... He remembers it being a different person who started this, but I'm just gonna... I'll be generic with it. My character okay. was an Eladrin monk. So, you know, a super okay. fancy elf, and I was a monk. And for context, mm -hmm. uh, elves in 4... or monks in 4E were really stupid. They're... Uh, mm, they've always been really stupid, like, you mean powerful, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, they were really yeah. stupid. Uh, they had a once per encounter power where if they were the first person to strike during an encounter, they got like a 4x damage multiplier. It was it was so dumb. It was wonderful. Oh yeah, I remember Open the that. gate of battle. Oh, I still geez. remember still remember the name of the ability. 
Another uh, quirk of elves, for those who have no familiarity with D&D, it's generally regarded that elves don't sleep. Rather, they go into this meditative trance where they're aware of their surroundings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yep. they still perceive things around them, but they're just sort of resting and kind of zoning out, probably smoking weed. <laughs> yeah, probably <laughs> tripping some serious balls. Exactly. But who cares? <laughs> they're elves. They can live that life. Exactly. So, and I was an elf yeah. monk, so you know. Um, and then we had this other player, and his character was, I believe, it was an orc fighter of some kind. Um, okay. And the, there's this big thing where orcs and elves are are opposing forces. I think you and I talked about this a little bit this morning, actually. Yeah, there yeah. was. Yeah. Well, there was a big dis. It was a big discussion about the Corellian versus groups yeah. thing that sort of got yeah, into Yeah, the yeah, the Corellian, who is the god of all, the creator and god of all elves, uh, is is enemies with Groomsh, who is the sire of all orcs, or whatever. So, uh, so mm-hmm. orcs and elves hate each other. So, you know, we are, we are edgy 18, 19-year-olds playing our first couple games of D&D. And the orc player... Yeah. He he is he reads this little blurb about orc culture in in the 4E handbook and he decides that he just irrationally hates my character. It's fine, whatever. You know, I'm a monk, I can be patient, I can deal with that. And mm-hmm. he is also, you know, a hyper violent, hyper masculine, etc., etc. type of character, right? Cuz he is an orc. Yeah. And uh through some sort of logic, he he decides that what he is going to do is uh, the next time we make camp out in the wilderness, and my character is asleep and defenseless, uh, he's going to he's going to invade my tent and rape my character. Uh, I'm going to once again point out uh, my my boyfriend at the time was the DM, and I was the only female at the pl- at the table. And so, so mm-hmm. he, so this player brings up that story. He brings up his plan. You know, the next time we're out in the wilderness, he says that's what he's going to do. And uh, the DM, he kind of gets some like paralysis. Is like, uh, what? Um, uh, uh, and me. Yeah. Here's the that's thing. Not I, acceptable at oh, all. Oh no, no, no! It's it's not it's not fucking acceptable. But here's the thing. I knew that I was a monk, and knew that I was an elf. I'm never actually asleep, and I'm never unarmed. Mm. So, so my reaction, and I am actually genuinely pissed. I say, let's fucking go. Sure, do it. And uh, okay. so then he proceeds to invade my tent. And uh, and uh, I said, well, uh, I my eyes pop open, and I punch you in the face and open the gate of battle, and I roll the hit. And he says, what? That's not fair. You're dead asleep and unarmed. And I said, I am an elf. Elves trance, and they are aware of their surroundings. What? That's bullshit. That's overpowered. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. (laughs) And also, open the gate of battle, an ability you've seen me use. So I get a 4x multiplier Mm -hmm. on the damage. So, like, the second he, like, pokes his head in my tent, I just, like, punch him into the moon. Mm-hmm. And uh that is excellent. Yeah, so like he like, you know, in game, he wakes up the next morning and his face has been like made concave. And uh 
Nobody addresses, nobody, like, dresses his wounds. Nobody, like, you know, is like, oh, what happened to you last night? No, like, everybody collectively ignores that his face has been caved in because nobody's going to, like, help him out or deal with him. I'm probably one of the characters that if he had fallen prone or if he was, like, you know, having to make death-saving throws, I'm probably one of the guys who would just take the greatsword and just chop his head off and be like, fuck you, go make a new character. Yeah. Um, so that... So here's where here's where like our my account of this and my husband's account of this differ. The person that my mm-hmm. husband remembers being behind this character because this is this was 11 yeah 11 years ago almost to the day. Mm-hmm. Um the person my husband remembers piloting this character never like came to another D&D session. The person, the person mm. I remember piloting this character is actually my best friend now, which doesn't like jive with what I know about him as a person, but I also distinctly remember him being that, so I don't know why I have that memory. So I don't know if we like hashed it out or if he was like, oh shit, I was fucked up, or if it was actually this other douchebag who never played D&D with us again. I don't recall. And that's why I like, you know, I'd rather actually, it was probably my husband's account that's more accurate than mine. I'd hope so. But I mean, but yeah, yeah. that's that's my uh, that's my big D and D horror story. Yeah, that's an awful okay. story. Just oh my se- yeah. god! Just for a second, you guys are gonna hear me clap because that's this is the time signature that I'm gonna use in the warning. There we go. Okay. So, uh, Morg, you touched on yours, right? Yeah, I mean, what, what is your horror? You story? know, there have been a, a, a couple of scuffles that we've had. Like, um, as far as horror stories that, uh, that concern with, uh, characters that I have played, um, recently we're playing, uh, Descent into Avernus and I'm playing as the, uh, Abomination Barbarian, but I mean, like, everybody's at level one, mm-hmm. so we're only our base class right now. So far, um, yeah. my character has, um, been the most consistent for damage because I'm playing as a Barbarian, he's got an armor class of 18, he's got the most health out, well... Second most health out of everybody, but he hits pretty consistently hard, and he's been, you know, killing pretty much everything on a good, consistent basis. But we have um, a player who's been uh, playing as a bard whose uh, main flaw is that he can't help but insult everybody um, where he can, and when he does, he uses vicious mockery on them. And it, it, it's completely oh, involuntary, and it's on. so annoying. You know, he he was like, "I'm gonna play an asshole character now. You well, guys no, no, have no, to keep no, this no. in mind." No, and that's bullshit. Yeah, I know it is. That's it is not bullshit, but like the DM allowed it. And so I was, um, so I was <sighs> like inquiring, you know, like why, you know, as the character, like uh, the bard had like fallen in combat like uh, at least three or four times in the last two she- two sessions that we've had. And in one of them, a Pegasus attacked him, but nobody else. And so my character was trying to figure out, you know, what are your intentions? You know, why would a Pegasus go and attack you for no reason? And then so um, his character made um, a remark about the the Barbarian I was playing as being weak and was using um, vicious mockery involuntarily. So my character, I was like... Oh, God, man, you shouldn't have done that. And so I rolled 
for patience to see whether or not he could actually handle this. And he rolled low, and I was like, oh shit, now I actually have to play through this. So I picked him up by both, by both of his arms, and I lifted him off the ground, because I'm playing as an eight-foot-tall barbarian character. And I lean in yeah. and bite his nose off, and everybody was like, "Oh my god!" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, he's gonna be doing this because I mean, like, he's inherently a cannibal, and he eats demons and devils in order to get more powerful. That's how he frenzies. So I mean, like, you know, biting a bard's nose off is no big deal for him. And so then the bard is like, "That's it, you've had it!" And so he takes out his swords and he tries to stab me with them. And of course, you know, he's got a ridiculously high attack roll because I think he's intending to go um, College of Swords. Um, manages to stab me with them, but then I pull out my greatsword and then the DM uh, tries to de-escalate the situation by saying, The Bard falls unconscious because he can't handle the trauma of having his nose bitten off in conjunction with having, you know, um, just been raised after being, you know, hit by the Pegasus or whatever. But it's really funny because, like, he... Um, this is not the only case where he has actually been attacked by another character. Another character that we had... Um, this is really oh, weird. Geez. Character infighting is so It bad. is. It's terrible. But, I mean, you know, we just kind of roll with it. And I kind of feel bad for um, uh, the guy who's playing as the bard, uh, Scott. He's a really good guy. Um, it's just, you know, that was, that was his choice. Um, he's kind of regretting it now, because <laughs> now the whole party is pretty much against him, but I mean, he set himself up for that. I mean, like, I, I have no bad feelings for him. He's a really good guy. Um, his choice and character in that regard was not the greatest. Um, there was another guy, Chris, who's from Germany. Um, he plays through Discord as well. Um, he played as a paladin mm -hmm. Warforge. And he came up with the horrible idea. Now, I don't, I don't recommend this to anybody. Is this he was the, using? Is this the same story, Morg, or is this? This is another one. But I mean, like, it's a good example of like just how bad okay. things can get. He was intending to use the ceremony spell to marry characters to NPCs. Oh God! So then, that way, he you could get an armor class of plus two. But the idea was, because the spell only lasts for so long, he was intending to have it so that we would kill off our spouses in order for us to marry more so that we could get the bonus continuously. And so we were like, are you suggesting, like, mass genocide, you know, immediately after we get wedded? And he's like, is there anything wrong with that? And then the DM was just like, no. No, 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 no. We're not doing that. Oh, my God. And he just had to get up off the Jesus. table. He was like, I need to take a break. I'm getting outside. I got to get a, some fresh air. And we were like, oh, my God, Chris. Why did you even think that was a good idea? And he was like, what? We're getting bonuses. Oh, God. <laughs> and I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, there are better ways to I, do this. That's one thing that... I have yet to see done correctly in any sort of D&D &D or role-playing game whatsoever is handling, like, a mature relationship. Yeah, oh my goodness. Like, that wasn't, like, the DM <laughs> talking about, like, NPCs, like, player-to-NPC relationships. I don't think I've ever seen that done well or meaningful in any I, way. No, I believe, yeah. I believe that I have pulled it off. Not, not to, like... Okay. Um, not to, like, you know, uh, like, I, w I would say, like, literary degree or, like, you know. But I, I believe I've pulled it off without making it cringy. 
Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so, like I've like I've said before, I've played the same sort of campaign with the same several people for several years, right? One of the one of the big things yeah. that I do is that if a character makes it from one to twenty, um, and the, at the point where they where the whole party is level twenty, the people who have been who have uh, made it from one to twenty without like losing a character, or switching characters, they get to decide what their legacy is. And they get to pass down a legacy to the next character in the next campaign. Like their offspring, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This mechanic that I have used has led to my players uh, sort of seeking out uh, partners which would... Uh... Okay, I'll be, I'll, I'll be honest. It's like oh, a eugenics thing. Oh, I them So it's more like eugenics. Yeah. Yes, yes. I um, knew it! Uh, let's see, um, I've had, I've had one character who basically spent all his inspiration points and got, like, a double nat 20 and, uh, succeeded with the succubus queen of hell. Yes, I remember you talking about that one. Yes, and actually that offspring was the bard that, uh, that, uh, basically became the muse of the bard prince. Like, that was, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's see, I've had other character like see, I've had another character like um Oh yeah. So the the son of the guy who like seduced the Bard Prince, like his kid. Not with the Bard mm-hmm. Prince, obviously, but his kid, uh yeah. later went on to uh score with the uh the queen of all elves and uh goddess of life and fertility and the summer so like oh. they, they seek out my players seek out uh character they seek out npcs who would sort of be worthy of adding to their their lineage and uh i had one character who long-term yeah, mating sim. basically Yay. basically <laughs> that's that's kind of what it is a little bit um but I had I had one character. This this guy, uh, he actually kind of relatively recently joined my campaign about two years ago. Like he's the newest player, mm-hmm. which that tells you a little bit. Uh, his character was a tiefling wizard, and early oh. on in the campaign where he joined, uh, they they met this uh, relatively young dragon that was terrorizing a town because she had it in her head that that's what dragons do, right? And they they okay. ch- they chatted her up. They chatted her up. They uh, dragons like alcohol. That's a that's a folklore thing. They got her really drunk. They talked her into you know instead of terrorizing the town, why don't you uh, run a protection racket instead? And that way you can make money. And this this mm. worked out for her. Add to your horse. This worked out for her, and then she was like, she was more uh, disposed towards uh, liking the party. And the tiefling wizard was like, you know what? Screw it. I'll go for it. Uh, and he rolled the flirt with the the dragon, the like twenty two year old dragon. And uh, he yeah. he got he rolled well. And then for like the rest of the campaign, like in his downtime, he would like write love poetry and send letters off to her, or he would send her oh. trinkets or sapphires. Like Sexting, that's what he eh? that's what he did in his downtime. He would send her like poems or he would like send her like sapphires because she was a blue dragon and blue dragons like sapphires. 
Oh, that's sweet. So in my in my current campaign, uh, that same person, his character is a blue half dragon. Yeah. Nice. Also, when he hit the appropriate level, wi- wizard level, he's like, "I want to take true polymorph." And one of the other players, who he's like a total minmaxer, uh... he's like, "Wait, true polymorph? What's that going to do for you? The polymorph doesn't do. You should take this spell, this spell, or this spell." He says, "No, I'm taking true polymorph." Damn straight. And, that's okay. the way to go. I, un- I understand and then, why. And that's why we have a yeah, half dragon. And then we all started yep. laughing at him. He's like, what? What? You're not going to let me have a half dragon next game unless I do this, aren't you? I'm like, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> I feel like I, I was able to pull it off without being cringy. I mean, I literally never went into detail. That's good. Like, there's, there's no way to do that. No, and that's... Mm-hmm. I've never, as a player, except for with Nil, tried to tried to do something like that, where Nil chatted up a barmaid once, and then they ended up dating for a while, and then um, there was like a seven year time skip, and she left. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oof. That's unfortunate. Uh, that was it. That's all that happened. I actually looked. Nil looked for her because, like, that was one thing that, like, that. I was trying to do an opposite of Link in a lot of ways, but like not the complete opposite because his idea was to be a mirror image of Link. So that's drove a lot of my decisions with that character. And one thing is that like these, all these girls go after Link in the games and Link is like scared and runs off and is oh, like, yeah. no. And I mean, that time. literally happens in Ocarina so, like, of Time. Twice. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, um, I was like, you know what? No, he's going to pursue someone actively. And so I did that. And it kind of felt I didn't do it too much. I would just mention it to my brother, the DM, like in some downtime situations. And then he would have me roll or whatever. And he's like, gosh, why are you doing this? Like he he treated it like such a chore. I was like, well, I'm not doing it just to be pervy. I'm actually doing it to like try to build a character and like, believable situation like all right he's kind of a ladies man too like or trying to be at least so i don't know but that 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 campaign is never going to happen again because um i'm sure that it's one of my brother's horror stories (laughs) Uh, which doesn't include me uh that that group was terrible and we actually disbanded that group because of a lot of the problems with with them, and that's why we have our Tuesday game open. Mm-hmm. And it's a good game. So, real quick, as a as a super duper fun fact, the same player that has piloted mm-hmm. like the guy who scored with the succubus queen, and then that the, mm-hmm. that offspring like seduced the bard prince, and then later, like that's my husband. Oh. Okay, yeah. that's funny. <laughs> yeah. The other players make jokes about it. <laughs> I feel like there's going to be like a Rothschild joke in there. It's like, you are your own grandpa. Oh, He's God. He's just like his massive we, like, no, no, there's magic. Like, there's like time travel shit going on right now, actually. Um, you're not far from the truth, Morg. <laughs> 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 it would take it would take too long nice. to explain it all. Oh my god, I love this. <laughs> now, do we do we want to try to quickly answer the other questions or call? Let's oh. let's real quick let's I real mean, quick, quick answer the questions because yeah, this is getting to be a long podcast. 
Yes, it is. Um, so for uh, favorite setting, homebrew, whatever, whatever. I think all of us do homebrew. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Pan, you had a good idea of just TLDR your setting. Um, I'll start out because everyone's playing it right now. Um, and there was a bit of a spiel about it in the beginning. Uh, Limora is basically one of many material planes in my world. Limora is one that came out of the Demon Abyss. Um, there are different timelines and, and basically it's a uh, bunch of islands and nations and there's not like a, a big landmass. There's all just different islands and they have different cultures and races and that kind of stuff. Um, there's a couple key things about Blymora's. It's got two moons. I don't know how that affects the wave. Sorry guys, I don't get that detailed sometimes. Um, uh, it has, um, it does have a calendar that's coming with cultures later. Um, I just don't, I don't put, I hadn't put out that information yet. Um, the, uh, the timeline, uh, is actually significant in my world because it started with ruled by demons. Uh, it was then supplanted with dragons. And then after that, because of pan, your article, Yuanti took over after the dragons. Um, and then, and then, uh, well, because the dragon time is basically the, the dinosaur time. Sure. In my timeline. Like, and then Yawanti came right after that. Uh, and that the mammals started getting big in that time, too. That's why in my setting, actually, in normal D- D&D lore, uh, Girillons, or the Gorillians, as some people call them, the four-armed four apes, are closely tied to Yawanti as their protectors. A lot of time, royal protectors use Girillons. So you actually see a lot of Gearlon stuff because I recently did that ecology. Um, you'll actually see a lot of stuff about Gearlons tied with Yuanti in my setting. Um, and then uh, came a time of elves being pure dictators and ruling the whole world after the Yuanti. And then it's sort of like gradually went into a modern era where most people live on their own city states is is mostly most of my stuff is city states there's not a lot of kingdoms Ah. uh, aside from a few um and you're like there's not a lot of there are big overarching organizations there are like big events that happened through those times like catastrophes and big things i would say one of the things that um this is actually something that happened in another campaign that is actually pretty significant. And this will be open knowledge because it will come when with the, uh, when I get, get around to getting the elf culture stuff laid out that people know is actually, uh, there was a significant like religious site and like a worldwide thing of like all elves got married at this one location in the world. That was their thing. They all, if you get married, you go to this location. It's always a destination wedding at this location. Yeah. That place in recent <laughs> recent history has been because it's a religious mm-hmm. thing. Oh yeah, the, no, it's uh, like it's like going to Mecca. Yeah. So the religious thing of going to, you know, assuming that the elves fall obviously it's a culture thing. Individual elves don't have to follow this tradition if they don't blah blah blah. Normal disclaimer for me. Um as a you know, as a player, you don't have to do that. But most elves would go to this location. This location has now been lost. Uh, it has been lost to time, destroyed, and this is direct beca- directly because of a party that played in this camp uh, in this setting Ooh. that involved um, who that involve uh, Gog. 
Oh, shame on you, Gog. I think Gog was part of that. Um, it was either Gog or someone else. I can't remember. Um, definitely wasn't Darth Tater. But anyways, yeah. So um, what basically happened is a green dragon moved into the area. Orcs lived outside of the forest, and the elves sort of took care of this forest and or spot. It was actually a waterfall where people got married in the forest. And the orcs and the elves were relatively peaceful, but the dragon kind of instigated them and then ate all the elves and then now lives in the waterfall. (laughs) <laughs> totally makes sense, because green dragons do like the taste of elven flesh. And they do like waterfalls. Right. Right, so it basically said, mm, I'm going to use the el- work their tensions against each other and um, kill the elves. And this direct result of the party basically trying to play both sides of getting paid from the orcs and the elves, they caused, uh, they caused the things to escalate. Denying them their sacred rite of passage? Ooh, I mean, that's, that's, right. the whole, that's the whole so, thing I've got about you on T, actually. Yeah, kind of like... Um, I, I remember reading yours. It was a really good post. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's stuff like that in the world. But um, for the most part, the biggest thing about my world is if you guys read my ecologies, that is how I treat monsters in my world. Like, monsters have always been like a big thing for me. So obviously there's a lot of monsters in my world. And I do, like, everything in the Ecologies is canon for me. So, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, Morg, um, what about My you? favorite setting is definitely going to be homebrew, especially with the amount mm-hmm. of customization that you have available at your fingertips. Um, I've mm-hmm. honestly, like, I've I've followed um, a number of websites. I have a certain number of subscriptions, free subscriptions, to um, certain websites. I can't I can't really name them all off the top of my head, but they're pretty good for, um, especially for like a like a DM uh, builder stuff, like uh, just for finding um, materials that add like a little extra spice to. Um, a lot of what so, you, yeah. so do you just like do you just build per like your session or do you have like a larger world all connected and stuff? It's a yeah. larger world typically that I am doing. And okay. but for in particular the the campaign that I have it's specifically Cthulian based homebrew. So the idea is to include things okay. like dimensional shamblers, hounds of Tindalos, Shogoths, um, Nyarlathotep okay. is definitely the main villain of the whole series, but then I've incorporated like a lot of the stuff that is very canon to D and D, but then incorporating um, sort of like a sci-fi flair to it with fantasy themes to it. I, I like to combine the elements of fantasy and sci-fi together to make something a little bit, you know, something that is greater than the sum of either one. Like, the sum of it is greater than either one or them both combined. Um, like, the idea of being okay. able to combine magic with science to be able to... Uh, like uh, being able to cleave through time and space using magic or being able to use artificers or having um, specialized crystals and elements that have magical properties to be able to create, like, I don't know, like a nuclear fusion, if you will, or um, uh, 
yeah, yeah, like being able to tap into the magical properties of certain things in order to be able to produce sustainable energy. Um, I also like the idea of politics okay. and stuff like that and creating complexities through that. Um, really, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I like playing the big game when it comes to uh, DMing stuff. Um, it's really a lot okay. of fun, especially um, one of the campaigns that I have. I designed is the idea of being able to enter into um a clockwork world where it's nothing but cogs and like you know like everything is all mechanized and you know there's it's like perfect order but then the idea is that um because they're not really um choosing a side in the alliance you know fighting against Nyarlathotep um, the main character that I, well, the main NPC that I have is like, well, if they're not going to side with us, they're an enemy against us. So, you know, we should probably threaten them so that they way they'll be more inclined to cooperate with us. So I need you guys to, you know, attack their energy grid, you know, take their, uh, main leader as hostage, you okay. know, and stuff like that. So that's like one of the main plans that I have for like one of the campaigns that I plan on doing, but it's only like a small segment of it. But it's kind of got elements of like an Ocean's Eleven to it, so it's it's it, it, it's going to be pretty fun once they have to deal with things like clockwork dragons and like metallic goliaths and stuff like that. It's going to be quite a lot of fun. So you, you you like to take a futuristic set, yeah, okay. yeah, a little mm-hmm. bit, just some elements of it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Pam? So uh, my setting, I like Roman stuff, and I like uh, Dragonborn. So my Ooh. setting is yeah. What if Romans but Dragonborn? So <laughs> I remember you yeah. saying this before. Uh, yes, actually, my very first post <coughs> on uh, behind the screen uh, was sort of my details on this setting uh, about a year after I started playing in it. Um, basically, mm-hmm. there are uh, the Dragonborn are a race that were elevated to their status. They used to be humans. Um, but during a time of crisis, they they prayed to their gods, and uh, Bahamut Bahamut and his children answered their prayers and transformed the warriors of the city into dragonborn so that they could fight against the forces of evil and uphold justice and blah 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 blah. So, uh, then fast forward roughly a thousand years, and the ruling elite yeah. are sorcerers. Like anyone who has any political power is a sorcerer. The emperor or empress are always a sorcerer. You you cannot even be considered hmm. for succession unless you're a sorcerer. Uh, and it's very heavily based on uh, the Eastern Roman Empire or the Byzantines. Uh, there's a very there's a very rigid military class. There's sort of all loyalty to the empire to the empire and to the emperor. Or uh, currently, it's an emperor. Usually, it's actually an empress because. I justify this in my post, but I believe that uh, female dragonborn should be larger than male dragonborn. Because dragons are like birds, and almost all birds of prey, the female is the larger. So so yeah. female dragonborn are okay. usually a foot to two feet taller than males, and usually 50 to 150 pounds heavier. So females, uh, it's a very matriarchal, uh, generally society, but they, they value... Uh, they value personal achievement and also power. So being a sorcerer is seen as sort of the divine right of the king. 
Anyways, uh, but they, they've also conquered a lot of shit, and they don't really care exactly who you are, unless you're, if you're a sorcerer, they care, but if you're not a sorcerer, they don't really care, you're just some peon, peasant type person. And... So, higher class magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, mm. the, ruling class, the ruling class has magic. And if, you know, if there is, like, some, like, peasant kid that, you know, suddenly has the spark of sorcery one day, then the Empire sort of swoops in, takes them off to the Jedi Academy. I'm sorry, the Sorcery Academy. <laughs> <laughs> indoctrinates them okay. to all loyalty to the Empire and uh, basically pays a pension to the family. So it's it's regarded as good luck and fortunate to have a sorcerer suddenly show up in your family. Uh, there, I play with a lot of okay. I play with a lot of politics because there's a lot of sort of uh, interfamily politics going on. Uh, of course, sorcerers want to marry sorcerers to try to breed more sorcerers. Um, mm-hmm. And there's there's yeah. often family politics, especially since like my players. My players tend to seek out members of the royal family to try to continue their legacy with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so well. I have yet to have I have yet to have a campaign where somebody wasn't related to the royal family somehow. So it's actually it's convenient for me because that means I get to drag their their asses in on whatever political intrigue I want to do. Politics have a tendency to make things very interesting, especially yeah. when you get really in-depth with things. Yeah. So the current situation in my game, um, and actually we're kind of doing this murder mystery thing. Uh, I have I have a mm-hmm. player character in a previous... Or he was a player character in a previous campaign. He's an NPC now. But in a previous campaign, he basically sacrificed his right to die. Which at first sounds awesome, right? Because that mm. makes you immortal. You can't die. You can't be killed, right? Sounds yeah. Like a curse. There are fates worse than death. Of course there are. Now, yeah. I haven't I haven't invoked this on this character yet, but anyways, it was actually a huge moment of personal sacrifice for him. So, uh, mm-hmm. we're currently doing this pl- and also he is he is a cousin of the emperor. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. uh yeah, my very wow. l- my most recent session last night, uh, an assassin came to murder him, and the assassin basically stabbed him repeatedly in the heart, but he of course didn't die. He just bled all over the place and eventually fought with the assassin, and Ooh. Uh, he mm-hmm. fought off the he killed the assassin, and the assassin was actually trying to kill one of his children. So there is this murder oh. mystery, because this kid is the emperor's godson. And oh. the, nobody knows if he's a sorcerer yet, because he's, like, two. But, um, this kid is the Emperor's godson, and an assassin came and... Well, he would have been... He would have successfully murdered the, the kid's dad and the kid if, uh... If it weren't for the fact that he was literally unkillable. Um, right. That's kind of a convenience, almost. Yeah. And meanwhile, the Emperor is freaking out, being like, Oh, no, my godson is at risk not living in the palace under guard and under my watch. Clearly, you should have him come and live with me in the palace. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So they're they're currently (laughs) trying to figure out, like, who hired this assassin. Spoilers, it was the Emperor. Of course. Yeah. Of course. I'm getting... Yeah, uh, I was getting those vibes. My players have kind of quasi-figured that out. 
Uh, but they're they're sort of tracking it down, and there's there's a whole bunch of like sort of side plots and political stuff going on, and I'm having a great time. And like last night, two of my two different players told me like, hey, they had a great time, and they they really like this mystery that I'm setting up, even though it's very clear that the emperor is the guy who hired the assassin. The right. secret, That's the secret good. is all about the narrative and the delivery of the lines, you know. Because when you're like, "Oh no, who could have done this?" No, <laughs> yeah, and no, it was more like it was more like so, like the guy who, like you know, he got stitched back together, and he's he's alive, but he's like really weak and tired and sleepy because he he lost like gallons of blood. Ew! Yeah. A person does not have gallons of blood. No, we have it by the court. So, yeah. yeah, so he lost gallons of blood. He's like, okay, guys, guys, you gotta, you gotta clean up. You gotta clean up my house. You gotta clean up this scene before the guards show up and before the emperor finds out that this happened. Because if he finds out this happened, he's just gonna, he's gonna take my son. So they scrambled to he clean it up, like... but then the emperor showed up anyways, and they like BS'd at him and like convinced him to leave and convinced him that nothing was wrong, or so they think. <laughs> they forget that he's a level twenty sorcerer with like a like a plus like twelve charisma modifier. Dun dun dun. Yeah, but whatever. So yeah, um, that's that's okay. my setting in a nutshell. Oh yeah, and the emperor is like a prophesied. Uh, they found out last campaign that the current emperor is like a prophesied scion harbinger of the end times, but he's never done anything evil up until this oh. point. <gasps> oh, okay. You know, oh, like for I just had a Fire Lord Ozai. Um, <laughs> I just kind had a of revelation. Lord, kind of no, like Ozai. Ozai combined with Anakin Skywalker. If Anakin was like Clone Wars, Anakin, not movies, Anakin. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's what he's like. Because Clone Wars, okay. Anakin's a badass. Movies, Anakin is a little bitch. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he he it's is true. kind of annoying. Yeah. Obi Wan is jealous. Sam, I hate him everywhere yeah. and everything. But like, yeah, no, he's he's yeah. So er, somebody noticed last campaign that this guy technically fulfills the prophecy of this of the dragon who will come and bring the go- golden age of dragons back. And to mm-hmm. everyone who is not a dragon, mm. the golden age of dragons is a bad time. I, I yeah, I can imagine. Huh. So a bit long winded, my bad, but uh, yeah. No, it's I fine. No, it's fine. I could um, imagine a, a, a segment uh, of your campaign where, like, you know, like a pure human or like a variant human sorcerer would, like, try and come up with, like, some sort of a concoction that would be able to make it so that he would somehow, like, incorporate the elements of a dragon into himself so that he could be, like, a semi dragonborn or, like, uh, an artificially created Dude. dragonborn. I've got a character who's currently like a Dr. Frankenstein who there there are two mm-hmm. there is another NPC who also gave up the right to die. That NPC is called Sir Pancake because he got smushed by a log <laughs> but he's still not dead. So this character is yeah. culturing his cells to make health potions. Mr. Squishy and, and, as I would yeah. refer to him. Yeah, yeah, that shows you what they called him. They called him Sir Squishy because they knew he was a knight. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, he's currently culturing his cells so that he can make skin grafts for people. Oh my god, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's literally um, happening right now. 
Oh my goodness. Um, so, uh, I guess we'll hit six and seven real quick. Um, feelings on different D and D, uh, video games. Um, there's a couple good stuff in the older days, like eye of the beholder, uh, Neverwinter nights, that kind of stuff. Um, there's not really been a lot of modern D and D games that I would consider worth it. However, um, my favorite one is the fact that Doom literally came out of a D&D campaign, and that's why Hell invades Earth, because that's what happened in id Software's company D&D campaign, and they made it into a video game. So there you go. Um, D- D&D also created the first-person shooter. Have oh, wow. <laughs> um... <laughs> Anything for you, Morg, on D&D video games? I don't think there's a lot to say on them. There's not a lot of them anymore. Uh, uh, honestly, isn't there one they coming were big out soon? back in the day. Um, I haven't really... Yes, and that one does look good. I don't remember its name, but yes, it's it's a, it's a tactical RPG, you know, like XCOM or that kind of oh. thing. Oh. Um, for D&D. Yeah. And yeah, it looks really good. Yeah, honestly, I don't think that I've actually really played any, like, genuine D&D video games. I mean, like, the closest that I can say that I've actually played to a D&D style video game was probably Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion. And, but that's not D and D oriented. Those are it's those got themes. Elder Scrolls are heavily D and D inspired, yeah. but they're not direct D and D video games like Neverwinter Nights or Baldur's Yeah, League. exactly. Um, like I mean, like it, it's got certain themes to it that really meet like the criteria for it. But I mean, it's not a D and D strictly game. Um, I loved yeah. Oblivion, but uh, I mean and- that's pretty much it. Yeah, Pan. Do you do you have any D and D video games to talk about? Um, so I don't think I've I I don't actually have much history playing D and D directly. D and D inspired video games. Um, I think I covered that in the Western mm-hmm. RPGs podcast. Um, yeah. So I have very little opinion, but I do like Western RPGs. So, yay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then D and D and literature, favorite authors, favorite characters. Uh, for me, oh, this no. is an easy one. A lot of people, a lot of people cringe when I say R. A. Salvatore in the Dritz series. Um, Dritz isn't my favorite character from that series. Um, a lot, a lot of people, a lot of people. I guess I'll use this time to talk a little bit about Dritz. A lot of people play Dritz. Uh, think that copying Dritz is the thing to do, so they play Dark Elf Rangers uh, with Black Panthers as their like yep. animal companion, which is what Dritz is. Um, 99 out of a hundred people who play that, uh, as a moody blah, blah, blah are most of the time incorrect as to what Dritz is as a character, as well as the novels. Um, the novels, he is actually a very nuanced and very intelligent character. Um, that doesn't have a lot of mood swings. Like most people play him. It's actually kind of sad that he gets such a bad rep because they are literally my... He is literally my favorite author. And there's some really cool stuff in there. Um, Really cool battles. That's actually where I got the idea of orcs not being entirely evil. Uh, Actually came from the Dritz series for me. Um, And then World of Warcraft, obviously, uh, which Pan talks about as well. Uh, (laughs) Sometimes is how... Uh, Thrall is basically the goodest guy in, Jesus. in Warcraft. Green Jesus were the words <laughs> I used. Yes. Green, green Jesus? Oh my goodness, um, I love it. 
but uh, there's a lot of characters that you know that seem to have like that seem to be like this the stock like hey this is a stereotype of this like the the halfling rogue or slash thief um and they're actually like really good motivations really well well written characters there's a reason why he has over 40 books in this series because they keep selling because they're good um you know good to a lot of people i would Mm -hmm. say Uh, obviously if it's not your cup of tea whatever my favorite character is actually an offshoot character that appears later on the series named uh catterly bonaduce uh who is a cleric of the one of the gods of knowledge uh who actually ends up being more like a wizard than a cleric but um his his offshoot series called the cleric quintet is my favorite book series ever with the final book being my favorite book uh period and it actually as um, per- a person who i myself am very not extremely religious but i am a christian and i, I do have faith uh in some sense um it was actually refreshing to see faith represented in a positive manner uh in in D literature instead of mo- most people see faith as we in my experience in D is uh, a crutch or that kind of thing um it is it's a really good exploration of both faith and a good D story in my opinion and catterly is extremely intelligent and extremely charismatic and to see that and uh play out in a book uh with a D character essentially is is pretty awesome and his wife is a pretty badass monk she is amazing um danica is <laughs> like Gosh, if I ever make a monk character, she would beat that monk character <laughs> to heck and back again. I can't. I can't even. Oof. But yeah, good stuff. Uh, that's that's for me though. Like, do you guys have any D and D literature that you guys read or care about? Um, I actually haven't read much of any or at all D and D literature except these might actually be the same books that Morg mm-hmm. was talking about earlier. Um, I do know. I'm going to sort of throw out this plug. There is this, like, Wizards of the Coast uh, sanctioned uh, choose-your-own-adventure book series where you are, like, a, mm-hmm. a uh, D&D class. I know about these because I bought them for a friend uh, for his birthday. And he says that they were great and mm-hmm. it was wonderful where, like, he went on a road trip and his girlfriend, who was also on the road trip, read it out loud and that helped him pass the time on the road trip. So that's that is, like, my thing for D&D literature. Look into the D&D 5e Choose Your Own Adventure books. Okay. Morg? Is Morg dead? Did Morg die? Well, I mean, I've already uh, <laughs> read through uh, Warlock Up Tire Top Mountain. I can't believe that I muted myself. Uh, yeah, don't... <laughs> I can't. Don't have night. Don't have nine drinks during a <laughs> podcast because that is the worst thing that you can do. My teeth are so numb right now. Um, yeah, okay. So I've already read through Warlock like of Firetop Mountain. Nine? Yeah, I've only had... Yeah. We're talking alcoholic beverages. Yes, yes, okay. yes. My teeth are completely numb. In, okay. in Mark's um, defense, in Mark's <laughs> defense, I've drank, in about, I've drunk about a liter of my own homemade wine tonight. Woo! Oh my goodness. Uh, I had I had two cans of pop. <laughs> Good for you, Fortuan. Meanwhile, us alcoholics are trying to hold it together. Big K, um, Big K grape soda, Big K orange soda. Taste the bargain. Oh my goodness. <laughs> 
Um, The Hobbit, I've read where it's basically like 13 dwarven fighters and a... Uh, a halfling rogue. Whoa, whoa, okay. Whoa. The, That's not D&D literature. The Hobbit, the Hobbit is not D&D totally, literature. Yeah. What? Hold no, on, no, no, no. Okay, no. Okay, hold up, hold up, no, hold up. We need to define D&D. this for Morg. It predates we need to define D&D. This for Morg. Yeah. No, D&D is This D&D is why we is define playing things. at uh, the <laughs> Hobbit. Yes. Okay, Morg. Morg. Other way around, What Morg. we define as D&D I literature that, is yeah. literally books about D&D. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I mean, like, I understand yeah. that, like, you know, The Hobbit has, like, like predated, like, D&D by, like, what... What is it, like, yeah. three decades at least? But, like... Yeah. I mean, more... Probably at, at least, least, right? Because yeah. that's the I, 40s. I, I yeah. can look this up while you, while it's you the 40s. talk to Morg. Mm-hmm. Okay, Morg. The reason why, like, Salvatore is because he is hired by Wizards of the Coast to write about a Dungeons & Dragons stuff, and they actually made him do stuff like the Spell Plague and the Time of Troubles. Like, those all actually appear in his novels, those events oh. that were, like, worldwide events. Um, if you open up a 5th edition player's handbook and you look at a drow wearing a cloak with white puffy stuff, that's Dritz oh. with two scimitars. Um. Or like, in, uh, I think it's in Xanathar's Guide to Everything, there's the, uh, the Shadow Ranger. I, I forget which book it's in. The Shadow Ranger. There's, or the Gloomstalker. That's it. The Gloomstalker mm-hmm. Ranger. Yeah, that's the one. There's a picture of a drow with a panther. Mm. That's Dritzed. Mm. Of yeah, course. That's Dritzed. Of course. Um, Br- Bruner, the Dwarf King, appears in a lot of D&D stuff. Like, that's, that's Dritzed's best friend. Uh, you don't really see a lot of the other characters. It's mostly Driss and Bruner. Actually, funny, uh, just side mention, there's actually, like, a free-to-play, like, uh, hero collector game that's based off of Dungeons & Dragons on the Switch that you, like, it's mm-hmm. like, okay. free-to-play, pay for stuff. Okay. It has Driss and Bruner and Jarl okay. Axel and all the So, for the characters. education of our listeners and for Morg, uh, Dungeons & Dragons, <laughs> uh was originally published uh, in 1974. This is according to Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. And you can split hairs on that with D&D versus AD&D, whatever. I don't want to debate that. And you can at me in the mm-hmm. comments and I will ignore you. Yep. Uh, <laughs> the Hobbit was published in 1937, nice. according to Wikipedia. Yeah. So there is a gap yeah. of 37 years. Uh Anyways, yeah. so uh, let's let's get this back on top because I'm tired as fuck right now. Morg, do, are there any are there any D and D based books? I... Um, uh, honestly, aside from the ones that I've mentioned, I, I, and when I say the ones, I mean just the one. That's pretty much it, essentially. Yeah, I was gonna say there are some popular series not that aren't just set in Faroon. Uh, a lot of <laughs> stuff is Faroon, like the Ari Salvatore. There's the Dragonlance series. Dragonlance is an official D&D yeah. setting. Oh, um, I didn't realize that. Yeah, so... Dragonlance is Just so, so listeners know, there's, there's a lot of... There's a lot of, of settings. Dragonlance is. Hmm. There is, and there's a lot less than there used to be, although I'm glad Dark Sun yeah. has made a return. Uh, Eberron is a newer one that came in third yeah. edition. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of yeah. great stuff. It's not all Faerun um, Forgotten Realms. Right, which it used to be Greyhawk was the default, but since third edition, Faerun has become the yeah. default. Greyhawk's so. too brutal for normies anyways. 
Yeah, and I'm actually playing. Uh, so our Pathfinder one in quotations campaign on Thursday is actually in Ravenloft, uh, which uh, Mossy mentions, and Ravenloft is. Super oh yeah, dark. I love Ravenloft. Mm. I love the flavor of it because I Innistrad was my favorite Magic the Gathering setting. My Mysterious oh, because Hydras. Okay. By the way, I have a pre-order of that book. Uh, I have a pre-order of that book because uh, my deities are active, super active in my settings. And I I really can't Mm -hmm. wait to have Theros and all those stat blocks for deities. Oh, yeah. No, I I definitely want to take a look at that book because it'll have some Hydra stuff. Yeah. That's for sure. Well, um, I'm I'm really tired as fuck, so let's, let's wrap this up. No, yeah, we're going to wrap it up. It's 11.30 where I am. It's 12.30 where you are. This is, we just passed the three-hour mark. Uh, Yeah, I think we're good. Yeah, this is probably one of our longer episodes. D&D's a lot. So thank you guys for listening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, We don't know what we're doing next week, so don't worry about it. You'll know when you listen. <laughs> it's an experience we're going to find so, out uh, together. We're too tired to argue about it right well, now. Well, it's only. <laughs> yeah, no. It, I mean, before we started doing the top 10 stuff, we didn't even really talk about what we were going to talk about beforehand, anyway. So this isn't entirely new. Um, but yeah, this is your host, Fortuan. You can catch me at Hunter Subpod on Twitter. Uh, probably see a little bit. Less ecology is coming out for a little bit because I'm working on more of the campaign stuff for Tuesdays and then get back into the ecologies, but they're still coming. Um, Owlbear, and then for sure it's going to be the Axe Beak after that, uh, the Diatrima. So, uh, yeah, that's it. And then I'll see you in the next quest, guys, and more. Well, you guys can always catch me at MorganHay3 on Twitter. Um, I'm probably not as active as I usually am because I am working right now, but... um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll try and uh, keep up to date with things, you know, try and put a smile on everybody's face because, you know, we're in it for the hard times right now because 2020, we rolled two natural ones and, you know, <laughs> we, we've just got to take it for what it is. <laughs> Instead of a double 20, it just ended up being ones. Yeah, and we rolled <laughs> like an advantage like too with two nat ones. It's the worst. But... Um, yeah, oh, in all man. honesty, I mean, like, we, we've just got to pull through. We've just got to keep a smile going and, you know, just hope for the best. You know, this virus is not going to get the best of us. You know, eventually we're going to be able to win out. We're going to be we're going to be fine. Just keep your chin up. We're going to be OK. And uh, Pam, um, what about you'll you? find me in Fortwan's Tuesday game. And I, before Tuesday, I'm going to mm-hmm. work on my Spanish accent because that's what I was going for on Tuesday. A Spanish mm. snake accent. I didn't recognize it as Spanish, but I, okay. Ah. <laughs> it, it was definitely exotic. That is my Nebraska person trying to sound like a Spanish snake accent. Ah, see you. I'll work on it before Tuesday. That's where you'll find okay. me. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. Later, folks. Toodles. <laughs>